0: Shil Good to uh, be here, Baruch Hashem Last minute, Balagan Where uh, we have to change shoes. Baruch Hashem But Hashem, of course, provides the cure before the ailment You know, sometimes we're sick And we don't know that we're sick And But Hashem already has the cure He already has the cure Before you even know you're sick Ramam says Today is Ilula, Today is the day that he passed Today is the day that people mm-hmm. use this opportunity to celebrate but if people only knew what the Rambam said about himself and how he, thought, how he taught Torah and what he said in this Torah they would celebrate a little different mm-hmm. if, you, if Rambam was here if we had the merit to even see the shadow of the Rambam the shadow of the Rambam and we ask him Rambam what should we do to honor you, should we have schnitzel at nine thirty at night with tarbuka, like we just came from the desert? Maybe bring a camel to make the special effects. Should we have uh, music from Morocco, music from Egypt, music from all the Middle Eastern countries? Is that, that, that's how you want. At that point, the Rambam's kedusha. If you actually, if I actually said this to him. His kedusha would burn me for being so stupid. Why? Because the Rambam valued every second that existed. Every second that he was alive, he utilized it to do Kiddush Hashem. Even in his work itself, even in his work, he would try whatever he can to always sanctify Hashem's name. Is yirat Shamaim was something that most people don't even can't even understand. Really, I don't think anyone could really understand the level of Yirat Shammayim that the Rambam had. To give you guys a little bit of an understanding of what a uh, serious Yirat Shammayim is. One of the Tzaddikim in the past generation prayed to Hashem to give him the Yirat Shamayim that the Rambam has. I want to have the Yerat Sharmayim that the Rambam has. But I already know. This is the Rav Mitzantz. This is one of Gdolay's story. He says, I want to have the Yerat Sharmayim that the Rambam had, but the lowest level that he had. Not the highest level. I know when he was praying to you Yom Kippur, on Shabbat. I know it's too high for me. I can't handle it. But give me the Yerat Sharmayim that the Rambam had at his weakest moment. When? When he's being a doctor for the non-Jewish kids because if he's, if he's a doctor for the Jewish kid it's Jewish neshama, it's precious you know, it's chash v'shalom so you have serious yirat shamaim during that time but it's not a Jewish kid, he doesn't have as much of a yirat shamaim as a Jewish kid, it's a reality so he says the rab Mitzan says I want to have the yirat shamaim he had then please Hashem, that's what he prayed for we pray for what? we pray for a million dollar house and then after the million dollar house we pray for a two million dollar house because the million dollars is not enough anymore It's not. come on, no a million dollars Hashem. you can afford more, no? come on car, second car, third car, fourth car and then we want to have at least two because we saw in a video that people put it in their living room now they put the car in the living room the kids are downstairs but the cars are in the living room (laughs) so he prayed for Yirat shamayim, and the Rav Mitzan says that the very next morning he woke up with his Yirat shamayim. he woke up with this fear of the Almighty but the fear of the Almighty that he had, he said, I can't explain it to you because I couldn't move. I couldn't get out of the bed. I couldn't get out of the bed the entire day because of how scared I was of Hashem. The Yirat shamayim, the lowest level of Yirat shamayim that the Rambam had, lowest level was too much for one of G'dolei Ado to get out of the bed because he realized... The significance of Hashem Yidbarach. So if we were to tell the Rambam, Rambam, what should we do then? If it's not Tarbuka, if it's not the Shuarma, if it's not the music, if it's not all this stuff at 10 o'clock at night, what do we do? What do we do? He says, listen, I wrote a few books. Why don't you read them for me? Yad Chazaka, Mishneh Torah. It's a few books, a few, a few. With all the extra time he had. He says he didn't even have time. He wrote in his journal, he didn't have time to eat or breathe. Breathe, he could not have time. That's how busy he was. You think he wanted? He went to parties? Think that's why he wanted want us to eat schnitzel at 10 o'clock at night? So people are confused. They're confused of what you're supposed to do, the anad al tzaddikim. They think, some people think, they look for zgulot. They're constantly looking for zgulot. Right now, it's the time of the shovavim. Shovavim, for anyone who doesn't know, means like uh, rascals. Like people, you know, kids. Kids that are like little troublemakers. And Hashem is calling us, Shovavim. Shuvu HaShovavim. Come back, you little rascals. Come back, you little troublemakers. You know, do tshuva. But where do we get Shovavim from? Because the first letter of each one of the parashot over the next six weeks spells out the word Shovavim. Shin, bet, bet. So, this is a time that a lot of people say is a good time to do tshuva. It's a good time to do tshuva. The good news is, it's always good to do tshuva. You don't have to wait for today. You also don't have to wait for Elul. But, if people are going to use this to do tshuva, fine. You're going to use this excuse to do tshuva. Terrific, no problem. But the problem that we have is that people are not really being led to do real tshuva. What are they being led to do? People that are on our groups, Baruch Hashem, we have thousands and thousands of people on the Facebook and the WhatsApp and all these other things, Torah Anytime Baruch Hashem, which again, anyone that uh, wants to watch our shiurim, go to TorahAnytime.com or Bezatashem.org, Hashem.org and you can see all of our shiurim, there's hundreds and hundreds of shiurim Baruch Hashem, short clips, long clips, long shiurim. So people... That don't really know much about Hashem. They don't really know much about Torah. They think that the Torah is a book of stories, like I used to think. It's nice stories, Moshe Rabbeinu, Avraham Avinu. It's nice stories. They think that if you say Shema Yisrael, you're already a Tzaddik. If you go to Bekneset, Yom Kippur, amazing. If you go also to Rosh you may be Gdolado. You may be Gdolado. Tfilin? People don't know. They think that, you know, if we do a few mitzvot, we're already tzaddikim. What does the Rambam say is a the lowest level Jew, lowest level, not the highest level, like a lowest level, lowest level, but has share of the world to come. Lowest level Jew, just complete, does all of the mitzvot that he wrote in his book. That's the lowest, that's the standard. Someone that does all of the mitzvot that he wrote in his book, that's the lowest level. That means you can have share of the world to come. We think that we do tefillin, it's enough. We're doing Hashem a favor because we put tzitzit on. Oh Hashem, come on, no? Why can't I go to Gan and I had schnitzel on the Rambam's Zilula? With some uh, tchina on the side. I did bracha. Hashem, I did bracha. When you say I did bracha, it's like saying, Hashem, I didn't steal from you. At least not in your face. So the Rambam would tell us that we need to shape up. We need to start waking up and start realizing what's the truth, what's a lie, what's nonsense, what's not. But people are being misled by fake rabbis that have a beard much longer than mine, have a hat, have a black and white uh, uh, attire sometimes, most of the time. They say nice stories sometimes. Some of them know how to speak. They say nice stories. They tell you all these mystical things. They talk to you about all the things that happen in the next world. And the worlds above that. And the worlds before that. And all these wonderful worlds that we're never going to see. Why? Because we're still Mechale Shabbat. We're still going out with a non-Jew. We're still eating tarif on a daily basis. What are these worlds connecting to me? They have nothing to do with me. He's still not fulfilling the entire Torah. These worlds have nothing to do with us. So these same people, they tell people, listen, all you gotta do is 40 days in a row, you're safe. You're not gonna have any car accidents, you're not gonna get sick, no terrorist is gonna kill you. Because a lot of them, there's about a billion of them, by the way, in case anybody was wondering the status of the terrorist, uh, organizations today, it's about a billion terrorists. Maybe a little more, give or take a hundred million. There's about a billion people that want to kill you, openly. Another probably two to three that are like behind the scenes. So they say if you read taylim 40 days in a row, or 30 days in a row, some people say 70, Machmirim, 70 days. 70 days in a row, 71 days in a row, you read taylim or you say all these different blessings, or maybe you put the red string. You do all these things, and it's a Zgula. Zgula le Zgula le refoa, Zgula le Zgula le all these Zgulot. But if we look at the Torah itself, if we ask Hashem, Hashem knows what He's talking about, right? Everybody agrees, Hashem knows. Hashem wrote the Torah, so He knows what He wrote in there. If we ask Him, what's the Zgula that we're supposed to do? He told us, you are going to be my Zgula. You are going to be my special segula, my special thing, if you just follow what I say. It's in the book of Shmot that we just start this week. Sefer Shmot. you're going to see it, chapter 15. Hashem says, you can be my segula, you can be something special, you can turn into this special thing. By what? By just doing what I said. That's it. Just follow the Shuchan Aruch, follow the mitzvot. Put siti on, put a keep on, act like a Jew. Don't be so shy. Look at these, we we're just talking before the lecture. Look at all of these Arabs, terrorists. They're proud of being Muslim. Even with the knife in their hand, they still pray in the airport. They still pray in the middle of Midtown. They still pray in the middle of the street. They don't care if there's traffic. Well, Jews, we're like shy. We're shy to be Jewish. So we go pray in the corner. Somebody's gonna see us praying. V'chirpa. So we have to start waking up and start realizing instead of finding an excuse to have a party we have to find a way to get closer to Hashem Ibn Barach because all of these gulot not all of them actually follow Allah many of them are fake many of them actually have no source whatsoever and as a matter of fact some of them are actually even dangerous Rav Levishtin. Shlita said a story, he said that uh, one time his father was sick, and uh, they went to this Mekubal, Mekubal, this guy in Israel, supposed to be Mekubal. And they asked him, you know, what should he do, he's going to the hospital, was sick, ta-ta-ta. He says, take this mezuzah, and put it under his pillow. You have nothing to worry about. And right, give me the credit card too. They don't do it for free, so that's what they did. Save a life. What are you going to do? The guy looked like he was religious. Look like a mikubad. Mikubad is even more. Look like a tzaddik. Rav Levinstein is not exactly a fool. He's talmid chacham. He doesn't necessarily know the entire Torah, but the point is, big talmid chacham. And also, desperate times call for desperate measures. Sometimes, when you have family, when you're when 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 you're you're involved in something, sometimes your emotions overtake your rationale. So anyway, so you heard this mekubal say, take a mezuzah, put it under the pillow. Your father, it's as good as gold. Shortly later, your father died. Died. Now the didn't connect it to. Me. He said, okay, just the school. I didn't work. The Zgula didn't work. But then later on, as he of, continues to learn Torah, learn Torah, learn Torah, eventually he gets to the Rambam and he sees what the Rambam says about Zgulot. And the Rambam says the very same Rambam they're celebrating today. Not different one, there's only one Rambam. Even the goyim know there's only one Rambam, same Rambam. He says that when a Jew takes a mezuzah, and uses it for something other than the mitzvah it's supposed to be for. Not for to put it on a door that's a mitzvah. For something else. That mezuzah becomes his kategol, goes against him, prosecutes against him. Who are you to misuse me? You think you're doing a mitzvah, you're doing a zgulah, you put it in your pocket? Mezuzah is going to Shaman and see look what he's doing. Look what he's doing with me. Instead of putting me on a door, he puts me in his pocket. Instead of putting me in a door, he's put me under the pillow. Rambam says, it could cause death. Now obviously, Hashem has to sign off on everything, but the point here you see, that it's mekupal. Not mekupal, mekupal. Mekupal is folded. Liar. Not only did he know what he's talking about, but he gives you, he gave them the opposite. They asked him for a cure, he gave them poison. So you have to be very, very careful with zgulot. Very careful. In general, focus on Torah. You have extra time, learn more Torah. More time, more Torah. If there's still extra time, more Torah. There's never enough Torah. Become addicted to the Torah. If you can't see with your eyes anymore, because two o'clock in the morning, but you're still you know if you don't feel like going to sleep, okay, listen to something. Drink coffee. Drink coffee, like Nissan says. <laughs> but the point is that the best gula is just to do it Hashem. Do the will of Hashem, that's the best gula. Best thing, all this other stuff. There's no shortcuts, my friends. There is no shortcuts. There's no Rasha in Ganedin. No such thing. There's no shortcuts to Ganedin. Never will, never was, never will be. A Rasha in Ganedin. No one in history that stole and did not do chuvaf for it entered Ganadin. Even if it was five dollars. Five dollars. Guy goes through his entire life, has a big business, builds it up, 150 million dollars in transactions a day. A day, 150 million dollars. A tiny little Google he built. Gives tzedakah, gives this, gives that, everything is great. After 120, goes up to Shemaim. Says, hey, look, I gave Maser. Marcel. Marcel not only Marcel I gave 10% of my 150 million dollars a day. Today, you're lucky if you get the guy that makes 150 dollars a day to give 10, 10%. People are staying away from that mitzvah. It's not relevant anymore, they say. it's too is too difficult to make, to make ma, to give ma'asal. Only if they only knew that if you give ma'asal, there's more panasat comes. But anyway, everyone has their own cheshbonot. But this guy... Makes 150 million dollars a day, and he gives 15 million dollars. Tfilin, both, meudal. No he has the Rabbeinu Tam, the Rashi, even one got the the one that you were talking about from the Zohar. he has got the best tfilin. A trog, at least 800 dollars a year on his trog. Not 30 dollars like most of us. 800 dollars on his trog. All the mitzvot meudarot, Shabbat, guests, non-stop. Everything's great. Kids went to yeshiva, wife with kisui rosh, not the wig, but actually a real kisui rosh, like it says in the Torah. Everything is good. Shalom to Shammai, says, oh. Gets to the door, it says, do not enter, do not collect $200. You cannot enter Gan Eden. Why not? I did this, I did this, I did this, and this, and this, and this. I did all these things. Yes, when you were... 29 years old, you borrowed $150 from your friend. And you never paid it back. You never paid it back. Gezel, the gazlan, thief, you have to go back. You have to go back to pay the $150. So anyone that understands this should know if you owe somebody money, you have to find a way to pay them back throughout your life. Do the best you can to pay them back as soon as possible. And if you're the person that's owed money, then you should say, Machul lecha. Forgive them. If they give you the money, they give you the money. But in general, it's better for you to just forgive them. Forgive them, you don't have to necessarily call them say, By the way, forgive, you, you don't have to pay me. But you could say it, talk to Hashem, pray to Hashem. During, during just general prayer to Hashem. Say, Hashem. I forgive them. They don't have to pay me back. Why? Because you don't want to come back also. Because if he has to come back to pay you back, you have to come back also. Who wants to come back to this world? We're barely surviving now. So, if we actually start looking at what the Rambam says, we see the Rambam wasn't all about parties. The Rambam was more interested in Torah. And the Rambam, also when people ask, what does the Rambam have to say about the end of times? Rambam's was giant of giants. Even the Goyim know that he's an extraordinary human being. They call him one of the 18 most influential people that ever lived. And the Rambam says a lot of different things about the end of days. He says in reality, we're only going to know what's exactly going to happen once it happens. But a person should not spend too much time learning about the end of times, nor should they Guess what's going to happen and how it's happening, because learning about the end of times ultimately will not get you to have real yirat shamayim or alvata hashem. Yes, it may get you to wake up a little bit. Gog Magog is down the street. We have a obviously problems from all parts of the world. Everyone wants to shemirachem kill the Jews. The terrorists are multiplying. And there's a lot of bilbul, there's a lot of confusion I'm Israel. You don't know who's real, you don't know who's not, you don't know who's an enemy, you don't know who's your friend. It's confusing. Ramam says, focus on the halachot. Focus on doing what Hashem said. And let Hashem run the world. Well, even if you know, if let's say you know, you know for sure, five years from now, Mashiach comes you're still obligated to learn Torah every single day. You're still obligated to do every single mitzvah, every single day. If you know Mashiach is coming next week, nothing changes. If you know Mashiach is coming in 20 years from now, nothing changes. Meaning that even if the whole world goes upside down or right side up, it doesn't make a difference. Nothing changes, you're still obligated to fulfill the entire Torah. Now this week's parashah is very, very interesting. And then we're going to go and continue our series of Pirkei Avot. And B'lod HaShem will connect all of it. I believe this week they are inaugurating the new American president. And everyone is acting as if the Mashiach is coming to town. As I've told people multiple times over the last month or two, that although he seems like a very nice guy, Although his daughter converted to Judaism, it'd be nice if she actually learns the halachot of tzniot. Uh, Or at least somebody teaches her how to be modest, because that is part of Orthodox Judaism. But nonetheless, I understand why she can't find a real rabbi, because everybody's scared of her money. Rabbi's scared of a billionaire. They're scared of the guy that has $10,000 a month. Of course they're going to be scared of a billionaire. Especially if the billionaire is the president. But anyway, everyone thinks the Mashiach is coming to town, parah left. This is exactly this parasha. Parashat Shemot starts with, melech hadash al Mitzrayim asher lo Yosef. A new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the children of Israel are more numerous and stronger than we. Let us outsmart it, lest it become numerous. And it may be that if a war will occur, it too may join our enemies and wage war against us and go up from the land. So, we've been living in Egypt now for some time, over a hundred years. We have our own town, with our own Goshen. Am Yisrael made sure to keep their clothing their language, foundation, their customs. Torah, we got a little weakened. a Little bit Midrash got a little dusty. Yeshiva, it's too expensive. Got a little weak. Hashem has to wake us up. But we thought, listen, maybe we're weak because the Parnassah is not enough. So if the president, new president comes, Parnassah goes up. All of a sudden, new president comes. People think president comes. More customers come too also. So they said, oh, the old one died because he was too expensive with taxes. The new one's going to come. That's our salvation. Same thing happened in parasha. But the new one, they didn't expect anything. They expected this one's going to be better than the last one. But what does it say? yosef. A new king rose over Egypt, but he didn't know Joseph. What do you mean he didn't know Joseph? Joseph died already. Meaning, he didn't know all the good things that Joseph did for Egypt, that put them on the map. Egypt was a little town. Joseph, with his Ruach HaKodesh that Hashem Ibarach gave him, made them into a world power. Became strongest country in the world and all of a sudden new king comes and says Joseph? Who's Joseph who? Who's Joseph? You relate to Joseph? I don't know Joseph. Sorry. What do you mean? He's the guy that's on the dollar bill. Joseph. Joseph, the guy on the dollar bill. Because goes, I don't even know who that is. Actually, you know what? Come to think of it, you remind me. I'm going to change that dollar bill. Hmm. I'm going to change the dollar bill. I don't want to see his face. I don't even know who he is. Forgot. How do you forget the guy that built your country? It's called selective memory. You choose what you want to remember. We have it too sometimes. We selectively remember what Hashem said, what He didn't say. Sometimes we say, listen, Hashem, I love you. But, if my friend's going to have a wedding with mixed dancing, I'm calling anyway. I know you said no, but Hashem, come on, you didn't really mean it. All of a sudden you go to the wedding, The women in the neighborhood, Tzadikot, always tznuot in the house with the little babies. Everybody's cute, right? Everybody's Tzadikot. You think it's uh, uh, Rivka, Sarah, Khana. You see all the Tzadikot, they arrive at the wedding, all of a sudden no one has Kisui Everyone either is not wearing any Kisui or they have wigs all of a sudden. What happened? You're Safari. Where did the wig come from? What happened? How come come your clothes so tight all of a sudden? Usually you wear something normal. Why are you so tight? Why are you looking like you're going to a runway show? No, it's a wedding. Oh, selective memory, you forgot. You forgot that Hashem's alachot also are for weddings too. It's not just outside of the wedding. It's very easy to be religious in your house. In your house, it's easy. It's not embarrassing. You can be with pajamas all day. Long sleeve shirt, loose clothing. It's easy to be religious at home. Open a Sidu, Shachrit. Open a Sidu, Mincha. Open a Sidu, Arvit. You open a Chumash, even though it's like TV in the background, it looks like you're studying. Looks like it. Let's fool him. The Egyptians said, let's fool the Jews. We are trying to say, let's fool Hashem. Let's fool Hashem. We'll be religious at home. Outside, not so much kosher in the house. Outside. I'll eat subway. But the tuna. Kodharab, come on. The tuna sandwich. Tuna sandwich. it's fish. It has fins and scales. What about the bread? What about the bread that's not kosher? That has the fat of pigs in it. What about that one? So like the pizza, So when everyone is getting their hopes up, it's time for us to have a reality check. Reality check tells us that, page 49, gives us different prophecies of what's going to happen at the end of times. If you read it, which we did a couple of shulim about it, for anyone that wants to go through the details, you read this page and it's mamash like reading a newspaper. Modern day newspaper. Everything it says happened. When? Now. Everything. And then it says at the end of the Gemara, it says there's nothing for us to rely on in this time other than our father in heaven. Nothing else. We can't rely on our friends. We can't rely on rabbis. We can't rely on our parents. We can't rely on anything can't rely on our money, can't rely on our beauty, can't rely on our smarts, what we have, what we don't have. It's going to be very hard to find a real rabbi, it even says. It's one of the prophecies. Why? Because the truth will be hated. One of the prophecies at the end of time is going to be that the truth will actually be despised. So that's why, for a party... You get 50 people. 5 minutes. Hey guys, we're having schnitzel. 50 people show up. Shiutoa you have to beg people to show up too. Beg them. No, we're going to have uh shiutoa. Is it food? Shi'uto'a. What about the food? Nissan's bringing drinks. Okay, I'm coming. Why? Because we need to entice people to come. But unfortunately, the competition is not the Arabs. Competition is... It's not the Christians. Competition is the fake rabbis. All they do is make parties. All day, parties. Parties, parties. Every day, is party. Every day is Hanukkah. Every day is Hanukkah. Why? Because parties bring in money. You come, you look at the schnitzel, steak, potatoes, this, that. Ah, this must cost money. Okay, here's 200. Here's 500. Here's... By the end of the party, it cost him $150, but he raised six grand. No, no, it's for Ilui Nishmat Rambam. You know, one Allah Rambam said, B'chalabu. If you knew one alakha you'd see that you're not even allowed to do what you're doing. So, with Hashem, we honor the Ramban by actually learning his Torah. Now, in this parasha, we move forward a little bit, and we see we're meeting the greatest human being that ever lived. Name Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu got a compliment from Hashem. Hashem said, Moses my servant. Moshe Avdi. What does it mean, Moses my servant? Why is it such a compliment? To say Moses is my servant. Sounds more like an insult. Anyone know? Why is being a servant of Hashem a compliment? And not only a compliment, the best compliment that anyone ever got. He was a Sadiq at all. Right, Sadiq good. But Yosef was also called a tzaddik. He was humble. Okay, but he's called humble too. Because the level of the person you, you serve determines your level you serve. Ah, chazak <laughs> u Perfect. And that's exactly what it says. Moshe Avdi means... That Moses was so glued to Hashem to such an extent that his own personal choice, his own desires were no more. If it wasn't what Hashem wanted, he didn't even think about it. You ask him, you want to have coffee? What does Hashem want? You want to pray? What does Hashem want? You want to go home? What does Hashem want? You going to get up now? I'm already up. What does Hashem want? I'm ready. All he wanted to do is let's on Hashem. Why? Because an, a slave, a servant, all he cares about is the will of his master. And Hashem gave him this compliment. And this week is the parasha that we meet him in. Now, in the Gemara, it says that Hashem cried after Moshe died, even though Hashem Himself took obviously Moshe. Hashem cried. When he cried? He says, who is going to be left to rebuke my people? No one else is going to rebuke my people like Moshe Rabenu did. Moshe did also Chizbon. He didn't uh, do accounting, oh he's going to get offended, didn't get offended. Maybe he's Chabad, so we should be soft. Maybe he's breast lift, so we should be this. Maybe he's orthodox modern a little bit, so we should do this. Maybe he's coming from conservative, so we should do this. No... There was one Torah. There was only a single Torah. Torah Bechtav and Torah Be'apir were considered one Torah. There was no two Torahs. Only later on, when the machlokets began, was it considered two Torahs. But in general, until then, one Torah. Even though one was by heart and the other one was written, the point is it was considered a single Torah. Only the machlokets, the disagreements, made us start viewing it as two separate entities. And Hashem said, who is going to be there to tell my nation the truth? Who is going to rebuke them? No one will tell people the truth like Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? Because no one ever became the slave of Hashem like Moshe Rabbeinu. But then if you look, At the very next best, who was it? Yeshua Benun, Joshua, became the G'dol after Moshe Rabbeinu. And if you look at Tana Deve Deve Eliyahu, the book that Eliyahu and Avi put together, he tells different stories. And one of the stories that he tells, like a midrash, but it's Eliyahu Navi's midrash. There's also Tanedavai uh, Eliezer which is Rabbi Eliezer ben Alkinos. But this midrash says that when Yeshua ben Nun rebuked Am Yisrael, he told him, "If you continue doing this, Hashem will punish you. Hashem will do this. Hashem doesn't forgive." So Eliyahu Navi says, "Hashem came to Yeshua. He came to Joshua." Says, hey, hey, why are you telling Amish I don't forgive? Why? I didn't forgive you guys for all the sins you made in the desert? The ten tests, you tested me ten times. I didn't forgive you each time. You're saying Lashona me? Shem Kevin would complain. Yeshua Bay says, I told them all those things because I wanted to scare them because I wanted to scare them so they don't sin against you. And Eliyahu Navi says, Hashem kissed his hands and his forehead. That's my son. That's my son. That's someone who loves me. He's not doing accounting, who likes you, who doesn't like it, who agrees with it, who doesn't agree with it, if it's your style or not your style. The bottom line is, there's a single truth. Sometimes we have to get shell shocked a little bit before we're willing to accept it. It's like when somebody gets into some chas shalom, some type of accident they have a heart attack, they go they pass out. First thing we do, we throw some water in their face, try to wake them up. They don't wake up, you slap them in the face. Not because you hate the guy. You want to get him back. You want him to get him wake up. You slap him in the face. If that doesn't work, what do you do? You electrocute them. You put the electric shocks. Mail at Sadiq from Torah anytime. That's what he did for many years. Reviving people. Now what if he doesn't react to electricity? What if he doesn't react to the electric shock? You call And say Kadish. He's dead. That's what Hashem is trying to do with us. First, he tries to throw some water in our face. Parnasat problems, Shlombait problems, problems, children problems, got an accident problem, all different annoying things that happen in life. Throwing water in our face, say, hey, if something's not good in your life, that means there's something not good with me and you. Sometimes I'll give you a test to bring you higher. But if you were high enough, I wouldn't have to do it. So if something's not so, not so good for you, doesn't taste so good, something's missing. Hashem's calling you throwing some water in your face. Wake up. You don't wake up. It gives you a slap. It gives you a slap. Slap hurts a little bit. Account went down from a hundred thousand to thirty. Your business just got a notice from the IRS. Your partner just decided that he wants to separate. You know, things that are not 100% there yet, but it's like not looking so good. Everyone gets a letter from the IRS. Shem Achem. It's almost like they got a letter from nom Welcome. Everyone's scared of a letter from the IRS. That's what we get. Hashem. Slap this a little bit. We're going to audit you. We're going to audit your mitzvot. And if we don't wake up, it's to electrocute us. It's to put you to very difficult things to such an extent that Chassid Shalom go to a test like I went to for seven years. Seven years of suffering, anguish, disaster. Doctors pretty much giving up on you. Who wants that test? And if that doesn't work, that's it. Game's over. Hashem's not joking. So when Hashem had this extraordinary person named Moshe Rabbeinu, being the number one rebuker in history, the number one Ishamit, and he passed away from this world, Hashem cried. Because who is going to do a great job like him? I always say to my Rav, if Moshe Rabbeinu came right now with the Mashiach, he'd ask Hashem if this is getting home. We're so far away from where we're supposed to be, he think we went to the wrong address. It's time for us to make this the right address. Now this very same Moshe, that Hashem said... You are the Mashiach of the generation. Even the Mashiach that's going to come at the end of times is not going to be great like you. Even the Mashiach, the whole world was created for you to give Amisla the Torah. Meaning, if you don't give, you decide. Listen, you know what? I don't want to do it. I want to go on vacation. I'm going go to Cancun. I'm going to go to Bahamas. I'm going to go to Cuba. They are just uh, cheap flights now. They're still building the hotels. I want to go to Cuba. Say hello to Fidel, or his brother. I think Fidel died right He died. B'Auch Hashem. Died. So, I'm going to go visit him. Argues with Hashem. No, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Let's say Hashem says, you know what, don't do it. That means there's no point in the world. No one else had the merit to receive the Torah. So now after a weak argument according to the Midrash, a weak argument between Hashem and Moshe. Moshe says, no, 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 I don't want to do it. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not good enough. Maybe my brother's going to be offended. Who am I, Bechlal? Not because he doesn't want to listen to God. Because he's so humble. After a week, Hashem gets angry. He says, oh, you have to do it. Now I'm not asking you. Now you have to do it. So now you see, okay, Moshe is Moshe. So you think Hashem is going to Send him with some bodyguards. Give him some protection. Some privileges. A little slack. Okay, you don't have to do tefillin nets. You could do it at 9 o'clock. It's fine. Just stibach at 9.30 maybe. 9.30, do tefillin. It's okay, Moshe. Come on, you're going to bring all of Amishel out of Egypt. It's okay. You don't even have to do one better time. Just do chashi, it's enough. Mincha? Yeah, yeah, mincha. You can start, you know, quick one. You don't have to do the kobanot. No problem. just go a Go, go, skip, skip. It's okay, it's okay. I'll It's okay, it's on me. Moshe. Same parasha. Pashachmoot. Chapter four. Verse twenty four. It was on the way in the lodging that a shaman counted him and sought to kill him. Hashem just sent him from Midian to Egypt. Moses just had a son. And he decided that, you know what, giving him a Brit Milah in the desert is dangerous. It's dangerous. Let's just wait until I get to Egypt, then I'll do the Brit Milah. Big deal, no? Saving a life. Torah says, the life overrides the Torah, puts the Torah on hold. Someone has sakanat shot on Shabbat, you violate Shabbat for them, and it's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to violate Shabbat for someone that you're trying to save their life. What if you find out there really wasn't a life danger, but you already violated Shabbat? Is it mitzvah? Is it nothing? Or is it avirah? You find out someone you hear this one is in danger. Woman falls. You think that she had a heart attack. Shalom. You right away call nine one one, call four one one, call three one one. You call every number you have just to get this somebody to help this lady. It's a Two seconds later she wakes up. Hey, how you doing? No, no, I just have narcolepsy. I just fell asleep. <laughs> you do a, you? But you dial the phone. Not dial the phone Shabbat. Is it mitzvah? Is it averah? Or is it nothing? you break even so all of you B'chim, got the right answer I got the wrong answer first time <laughs> so, so the good news is that Moshe lived but he almost died why? because he took matters into his own logic into his own hands he says, let me delay the Brit Milah, even though Hashem said the eighth day, it's dangerous to do an eighth day here. So let me delay it a couple of days, when I get to Egypt, I'll do the Brit Milah over there, have some shawarma, have some schnitzel, <laughs> tar-buka. tarbuka. Why not? Hashem says, no my friend, you cannot take matters into your own hands. We have laws. Laws are not based on whether you understand or agree with them. The laws of the Torah are based on Hashem's rationale. Hashem's rationale is not always something that we understand. As a matter of fact, we never understand it, we just understand certain benefits. Whether you like it, agree with it, is irrelevant. Proof, the number one human being on earth that ever lived, almost got a death penalty who saved him his wife. His wife last second saw that the angel is about to kill him and is swallowing him, making it obvious that it has to do with the Brit Milah. She gave the son, Eliezer, a Brit Milah on the spot, and the angel of death left. If it wasn't for Tzipora, Moses' wife, we wouldn't have Moses, and this is Moses. It's not like some uh, guy. So what about us? What about us, that every day we have a, give ourselves a discount in the prayer, we give ourselves a discount with the learning, we give ourselves a discount with the Shlombayit, give ourselves a, a lot of discounts we're giving ourselves. Ah, let me cut myself a slack, I just did Chuba two years ago. Ah, let me cut some, myself a slack, I studied two hours yesterday. Every day we're giving ourselves slack, 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 eventually we have nothing left. So, these are a few things we have to understand from this parasha, but how does it connect to this Pirkei Avot? One of the things that we know Moshe was, and he's forever known as, is the humblest human being that ever lived, despite being the greatest human being, despite being the only one that ever spoke to Hashem face to face, despite being the only one that received the Torah in Mount Sinai directly from Hashem, going to Shemaim, Getting presents from all the angels, including the Satan himself, gave him a present. Satan gave Moshe Rabbeinu a personal present. Moshe was still the humblest man that ever lived. In Mishnah Avot, chapter 2, Mishnah 10, Bet Yud, says, It says, now in some Avot books you'll see that this Mishnah continues. But in ours it actually breaks up at this, meaning the next there's another Mishnah after it, meaning the rest of the Mishnah in other books, is a uh, is a separate Mishnah. Because there's so much to learn from just this, this single one, we're going to keep it as this book says. And Bezot Hashem, try to figure out what we can learn from six names. What can we possibly learn from six names? If I Joey, Steve, Yecheskel, Moshe, and Tzvika. All right, thank you very much. It was a good show. I'm going to go have some schnitzel. What are you going to learn from those names. And it's not only names; it's a whole Mishnah. Meaning, the Mishnah is telling us you have a lot to learn from these names, just from the names. There's such amazing names. There's such amazing people that it's okay. Thank you. It's me to vote. Thank you. There's such extraordinary lessons to be learned from these names. You don't even need to know what they said. Just learn their names. So first and foremost, we have to see what we can learn from here. Number one, we're saying that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had five primary disciples. and They were Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos, Rabbi Joshua ben Hanania, Rabbi Yosef the Kohen, Rabbi Shimon ben Netanel, and Rabbi Lazar ben Arach. So this is the same Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai that was the student of Hillel, And we see here that they mention he has five students. But if you look at the Gemara said, Pesachim, page 26a, it says that Rabban Yochanan was such a huge personality, such a huge Rabbi, that he had so many students, he couldn't give it inside. All of his shulim had to give it outside. There's no hall big enough to support all of his students. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Not me skin like me, I could barely get a minyan. He got thousands of people every day. shoot fifty thousand people show up. Madison Square Garden was already too small for him. Only outside. So why is he mentioning these five? So Chazal explains to us that these specific five were the top five students. But what top? Top what? They were smart, they were funny, they were they knew Gemara by heart. What? What was far? Top most humble of all. They were so humble that if Rabban Yechonan did not mention them, we wouldn't even know about them. They didn't think of themselves as anything big deal. Where did they learn who's from? Moshe Rabenu. Humblest man that ever lived. Had some good students. Also there's a Midrash in Me'am Loez that Hashem in Mount Sinai comes to, uh, Moshe, in Mount Sinai comes to Hashem and he says to him, Hashem, you said that my descendants are going to inherit your Torah. are going to continue my lineage. He goes, yes, you are, you do have one. You do have one that's going to be a light to the nations says which one of my sons Eliezer or Gershom he goes, no 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 it's neither one of them i have another wife another son no it's the, one of their great grand 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 grandkids his name is going to be Eliezer and we find out about him this week his name is Eliezer ben Hokinos But before Eliezer ben Holkinos became Eliezer ben Holkinos, he was just Eliezer. And in order for him to become what he was, he had to go to his Rav. As we've mentioned in the previous shiurim, the foundation of connection to Hashem is learning His Torah. And learning Hashem's Torah is not something that you could simply do on your own. You have to have a rabbi. You have to have someone that's going to direct you left, right, what to do. You're learning, you can learn at home, you can learn from videos, you can learn whatever you want. You have to have some rabbi that's going to direct you, tell you what's tarif, what's kasher. What to learn, what not to learn. Because some of G'dolei Ador right now, saying that some of these Ba'alei Chuva that we have today, with no that, that don't have a rabbi, don't have any leadership, don't have any monitoring, don't have anything... He says some of them end up doing so much chilul Hashem it was better off they didn't do tshuva. Atke dekach because when you don't have a rabbi you're bound to go wrong. No one's telling you what to do so you're just gonna look at it and you say you know what I've been reading the Gemara already for a year I'm gonna start teaching. You still don't know how to read year but you want to teach. I want to read the Gemara, but I'm not going to read the Gemara with Rashi. I'm just going to read the Gemara. I'm going to understand it the way I want to understand it. Like I had a guy today make a claim that he understood this part of the Gemara. And he says, uh, Listen, there's a Gemara that says, which by the way is in Kiddushim, but there's a g'malat that says that if a person is about to sin, let's say he wants to sin with a, with a, with a woman or something, he's uh, and he can't control himself, let him put black clothes on and leave town. It's okay that he sins over there, and then he comes back. At least he's not going to do Chilu because over there no one knows him. And this is what he understood from his mother. Now this, if this Gemara, the way he understood it, would be valid, it's tovavot, it's better off than Hashem, destroy the world, if this Gemara is real. Why? Because then all of us are going to say, okay, you know what, every time I want to sin, I'm going to go to Vegas, every time I want to go with a girl, hey honey, watch the kids for a few hours, I'll be right back, I'm going, I'm crossing town. If this Gemara was real, the way this guy, this fool, understood it, it's tovovo. it's destruction to the world. What do you mean? You leave town, you're allowed to sin out of town. So what does the Gemara really mean? Just read the commentary. Tosfot. Tosfot. What do you say? He says that if you put, by the time you put on this black clothes, because back then it wasn't black and white. Back then we wore normal clothes, they're different colors and black clothes wasn't coming so by the time you got black clothes took some effort so you figured by the time you got the clothes and you put them on and everything you spent so much energy and headache and balagan that your desire to sin is like ah it's not worth it it's never allowed to sin we just going to occupy you with something make you think it's ok to sin, it's ok to sin go out of town by the time you got the black clothes you already lost all the energy you're not really into it anymore Go back home. Go back to your wife. Who's this come from? A rabbi. Rabbi understood this. Rabbi told me, a rabbi was the one that made this mistake. A rabbi was the one that called me and told me, yeah, that's my As you go out of town, you're allowed to sin. Rabbi. Rabbi, gives lectures. What happened? What happened to this rabbi? Went to the wrong Yeshiva. What happened? He has no rabbi. A lot of rabbis don't have a rabbi. And one of the reasons why is because they forgot the number one character trait that Moshe Rabbeinu was known for, which is anava, which is having humility. One of the things that we learn from all the greatness of all these sages, including Rabban Yochanan, is that no matter how great they were, every single one of them had a rabbi. Rabban Yochanan had Hillel. And we go through the lineage over the last couple of months of every shiur, we know who they were, we know who their rabbi was, and now we're learning who their students are. Meaning that every rabbi has to have a rabbi. When you don't have a rabbi, you have a disaster. You have no one to put you back in check. You have no one to tell you, "Hey, by the way, buddy, you're wrong. You're wrong. You don't understand what you're talking about. You should go lock yourself in a room for another six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, and then give drashot before you give a pirush of a gemara that could literally destroy the entire world." You know, Rabbi Meir Baranes. I said to his son one time, my son, be careful when you write Torah scrolls, the Torah scroll, be careful, because one letter, you make a mistake with one letter, you could destroy the world. I asked myself, how can you destroy the world? Because even though, yes, of course, there's allegorical meanings, it can mean this, it can mean that, maybe he's just saying it's a big deal, so be careful, no, no, but I actually want to know how can it actually destroy the world? The pshat. I want the simple meaning. Rabbi said something. I want to know what he means. How can me missing one letter destroy the world? It's a little extreme. He didn't say you miss one word. He said one letter. Anyone? You can mess up pages. If it's from one letter, it goes from this letter to this letter, and it's misinformation. You're in the right direction. I once heard that if some letters, in Hebrew, that means mercy. Okay. But if you either write it with the wrong... With the wrong letter, letter right? Letter page, it turns It turns it's into... Deen, Chazaku That's another way. So first off, you could, by changing, by missing one letter, you could change the word completely, where instead of mercy, it means judgment. So instead of us getting mercy from Hashem, we're writing for ourselves, oh, we're going to get punished. Hashem Or, you miss one of the letters of Hashem's name. And now you're praying to the wrong God. you have a problem. So Rabi Meir says, be careful with one letter. One letter, you could destroy the world. Why? Because people could spend their whole life worshipping the wrong God. They call it Christianity. So when someone doesn't have a Rav, they have themselves a serious, serious problem. And if you go to the Gemara above a Metziah, you see that the Rabbis are debating a very important issue. Rabbi Meir Baranes, Rabbi Yossi, and Rabbi Yehuda have a debate. Who is your Rabbi? Who is your Rabbi? How do you pick who your Rabbi is? Rabbi Meir says, the one who taught you, Divrei chokhmah one who taught you the wisdom part of the Torah, which is Gemara. The most sophisticated part of the Torah is Gemara. He says, whoever taught you Gemara, you learn Daf Yomi, that's your rabbi. Rabbi that says, no, it's not. It's the one that taught you most of what you know. Because throughout your life, you did Shuvah at 20, 25, 30 years old, there's not a shame you can live to 120, you have 80 years, 90 years, 100 years of Torah. The guy that taught you the first five years, he didn't teach you 50 years later. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Maybe you switched. You started with this one, you went to a different one. He says, whoever taught you most of the information you have, that's your rabbi. So let's say you have 100% out of your knowledge, 100%. One guy taught you 40%. And then 10 other rabbis throughout your life, Split the other 60%. Each one 6%, let's say. So one guy, really, is your rabbi. He taught you 40%. Everybody else 6%, 7 8%, 10%. But one guy is the focus guy. You have 100 CDs, 40 of them are Rab Mizrahi, and the other 60 are like a bunch of other rabbis. Okay, so rabbi Mizrahi is your rabbi. That's what Rabbi Huda says. Rabbi Husi says, No... I have a source. I have a source, and my source is David Melech. He says, we learn from David Melech that even if someone teaches you two Mishnayot, two things in Torah, two small things, not only do you call him Rabbi, but you must give him honor. Just like David HaMelech gave his enemy, Achitofel. His enemy, his arch nemesis, but he taught him two Mishnayot. Some say it was really only one because he knew the other one. But David the Melech forever called him my rabbi. So they have a machloket, which one? is like anyone teaches you any Torah. Rabbi Yossi says, any Torah, he teaches you, he's already a rabbi. What do we see from here? What do we see from this whole argument? What do they all have in common? The one thing they all have in common is that in order for you to be a rabbi, in order for you to have a rabbi, it has to be someone that teaches. If you go to Bekneset and you go to St. Bekneset 30 years, and the rabbi there is just sits there, he's, you know, he's like sitting over there, hi, shalom, shalom, Hanukkah party, come, come, leave, okay, it's okay. Hello, hello, bye-bye. But you don't really listen to what he says. You don't learn from what he says. He's not your rabbi. You go to the shul 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. You could be next door to you in Olayabah. He's still not your rabbi. Who's your rabbi? Someone teaches. Someone teaches and you accept it. So, this is also for an explanation for all of those fools that always ask different rabbis, especially speakers... Where is your smicha? Do you have a smicha? Who gave you a smicha? A smicha is in essence like a uh, test that you've passed in order to be a rabbi. And the source for it is from Moshe Rabbeinu gave a smicha to Yeshua Benun. He put his hands on Yeshua Benun and that was the first smicha. And then we see it in the Gemara several times where to make someone a rabbi, they would do the smicha. And today, in order to get a smicha, you have to pass a test. Problem is, that the smicha of today, and the smicha of Moshe Rabbeinu, or the Gemara days, are two completely different worlds. They're not the same thing, they're just called the same name. Why? The smicha of today, means that you pass the test, in a specific subject. You are an expert or good enough to be a butcher, be slaughter. Give a smichot for that. You are an expert, Biki, in doing chupayin kidushim. You learned the halachot of chupayin kidushim, they tested you, you can do and kidushim, you can marry people. Or you can be a rabbi of a keilah, or you can do different things. There's different levels of smichot, there's many of them. The smicha of the gemara is a completely different world. What is it? When you had a smicha in the gemara, that means you were able to pass laws. You were a dayan. In today's world, it's called a posik. You made laws. You say, from now on, not allowed to touch the pen. Not only, obviously, you're not allowed to write. Hashem already said that. You're not allowed to touch the pen on Shabbat. It's muktzeh. Law. No one can go against it. Same thing as if Moshe from al I said it. That's what a smicha is in the Gemara. Today, the guy that just learned how to be a butcher, he doesn't even know what the pen is, Bechlal. He just learned how to be a butcher. He doesn't know all these things. So when people say, where is a smicha, where is a smicha, where is a smicha, first of all, we need to know what a smicha is. Second, not everything has a smicha. Not everything in Divrei Kodesh, in Avodat Kodesh, has a smicha. Primary thing is Teaching. There is no smicha for teaching, there is no smicha to give speeches, there is no smicha to, a, uh, to do Kiruv, there is no smicha to give Shure Torah, there is no smicha to give Dafyumi lectures. And that's why you'll see that some of the top speakers in the world don't have smichot because there is no one. N- you can't get, even if you wanted it, even if you spend your whole life in Yeshiva, and this is the smicha you wanted, there is no, it doesn't exist. So people say, oh, oh, who's your rabbi? Oh, he doesn't mean I'm a smicha. How could you let him speak? It's like, yeah, but even if there's nothing for him to have, he can't get it. It doesn't exist. It's like saying, oh, but how could he drive a car without a license? Yeah, but for a driver's license, you can get. It exists. But if you tell him, how come he doesn't have a, uh, you know, a license to fly without an airplane, without anything, just fly by himself in the middle of the air, well, there's no license for that. It's called Shigon, so maybe you're in ecstasy or something. So that's the, seg- that's the next thing. Third thing is if you look at even just less than 100 years ago, 70 years ago, 80 years ago, the biggest sages that in the past generation, at least most of them, came from Porat Yosef Yeshiva Porat Yosef. One of them being Rav Avadia Zechet Sadiq V'Kadosh L'v'racha, and many, many other Gedolim, Rav Tzion Abba Shaul, and many, many other giants came from there. You also have Rav Yashiv, that became one of the Gedolei Adol. And if you notice, none of them, Rav Avadia, Rav Yashiv, ever took a test like the modern test that you have today for getting a smicha. They didn't have it. So how did they make Rabbi Vadya and Rabbi Yashiv not only rabbis, av meaning top of the top, rishon lezion? He didn't pass the test. He didn't take the test that the little Chabad kid took. The little kid, eighteen years old, took a test. Rabbi Vadya didn't take a test. How, did he, how come did they make him rishon lezion with his test? Because there's also something called gaon mukal. Gaon Muka means a known genius. Where someone knows so much, it's embarrassing for anyone to even test them. Known that he knows more than everybody else. It's known. How do we know? Because when Rav was 10 years old, he went to Baghdad. He was sitting in the Bet Midrash. And all these Chachamim are sitting there. They're all learning. All the, they're all 40, 50, 60 years old. And all of a sudden he stops. He goes, no, no, no. You, you misunderstood the Tosfot. What? Huh? Chutzpan! What the misunderstood Tosfat? Little 10-year-old kid. She got out of diapers a few years ago. What are you telling me a misunderstood goes. One day I say, hey, relax, let him, let him talk. What do you mean? What's, what do we what did we misunderstand? And little Ovadia start start telling them the whole thing by heart. The whole Tosfat by heart. Not just the Gemara. The Tosfat, the little writing. The little stuff on the sides of the Gemara that nobody ever reads. That by heart. Explaining to them how they got it wrong and this and that. 10 years old. For the next six months that he was in Baghdad, they considered him their rabbi. He was our teacher. And the real rabbi, the head rabbi of the, of the Bet Midrash, was a known rabbi, eventually became a uh, Dayan in uh, Israel with Ravavadia. Little Ravavadia, big rabbi. Many years later, obviously, Avadia was much older than. But the point is someone is a Gaon Mukal, someone's a known genius. You don't give him a test. What test? You don't have a test that's even at this level. So this again shows us again more education about this whole issue of smicha. People ask people this, people that. You have to before, I wrote an article about this uh, maybe a year ago or so, um, and it's much um, silly because usually the ones that ask if someone has a smicha or doesn't have a smicha, usually they're not looking for whether someone has a smicha or not. They're just looking for an excuse not to listen to them because if he, if he doesn't have a smicha oh, that means he's not a rabbi so I'm not going to listen to him but if he does have a smicha then the next question is oh, what kind of smicha is it? oh, it's the most common smicha that most people have all the, you know a, uh, rabbis of keilah everyone, the basic first smicha that everybody gets to be a butcher what does being a butcher have to do with running a keilah? nothing unless you're going to slaughter the you know, the people that come to the keilah it doesn't have anything to do with it but they call you rabbi they call you rabbi. But the smicha has nothing to do with it. What does smicha of kiddushin have to do with shakhit, mincha, arvit? Nothing. Nothing. You use it, well, a couple of times a year somebody gets married. It has nothing to do with it. What's going to get people to wake up? Torah. Torah doesn't require smicha. So this is why Rabbi Yassi said what he said. He says, someone teaches, that's a rabbi. And today's age, someone that helps you do tshuva, that's your rabbi. But the point is that we need to understand, before we go against big rabbis, before we go against small rabbis, before we go against anything, first we have to educate ourselves. Good or bad, we have to educate ourselves. So Rabban Yochanan taught us the significance of having a rabbi just from the first few words of this Mishnah. He's telling you, first of all, remember, I'm Rabban Yohanan, these are my five top students. Each one of them was able to revive the dead. Each one of them, we can't even understand how much Torah they knew. Because remember, Rabbi Akiva, that everyone knows, was their student. His student's student. Meaning it's two generations after Rabban Yohanan. And Rabbi Meir Baranes. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, that everyone knows, were Rabbi Akiva students. Meaning the three generations from Rabbi Yochanan. And even Rabbi Yochanan had a rabbi. So why does this guy that called me today not have a rabbi? He says he has a rabbi. But I know he doesn't have a rabbi. He says I have this big rabbi as my rabbi. I know he doesn't have a rabbi. Why do I know he doesn't have a rabbi? Because if he had a rabbi, there's no way that he would make such a foolish mistake. Such a foolish mistake. Maybe he wants to do the same himself. So he just. Shem elachem alenu. Shem elachem So Rabban Yochanan tells us, "Listen, I had five students. Each one of these students was special, but I wanted to make sure that I teach them all the chokhmot, all of the wisdom." That we have in the Torah, I want to teach them everything. Now, if you look at the Mishnah, Perik Kelim, Perik Shweisri, 17, Mishnah 16, it discusses the difficult subject of tumah tara, purity and impurity of different utensils. And now it's talking about these specific utensils. That it says these utensils are always impure. If you listen to the utensils, it doesn't make any sense. One of them is a scale. Scale, you weigh food. Another one is a leveling rod. In those days, you know when you buy stuff. You buy it in baskets. Buy it in baskets. And you want to level off the, let's say, for example, you're buying a basket of olives. You level off the basket so it's straight. You put this thing on it to make it flat. And then you put it on the, you know, tell them, listen, this is one full basket. It looks like it's a full basket because you have something that's leveling off. Then you have a yoke, which is like something that they put on their shoulders. You go into the market, you say, listen, uh, Mr. Balabite. I need some work. You have stuff to sell. Give me some, fill up my baskets. I'll go to the market. I'll sell it. I'll bring back the money. Right? Good deal. And a poor person's cane. Poor person has a cane? Tell me. What? Poor person can't be skinny, He's already poor. you already given a buyout. In this Mishnah, who teaches it? Rabban Yochanan. Rabban Yochanan teaches this Mishnah. And Rabban Yochanan at the end of this Mishnah says, Oilim Omar, Oilim Lo omar. Very famous statement, he says, Woe unto me if I teach it, and woe unto me if I don't teach it. This is, by the way, a special request from my, one of my students. Tzaddik watches every shiur asked about scales. The mitzvot of scales, the mitzvot of scales and weights and so on. So I had to do bauch Hashem with Zeb we have this Mishnah. So we have these five unusual utensils or, or kilim that the Mishnah says they have Tum'ah. And Rabban Yochanan, this giant of giants, says oily meaning woe to me if i teach it woe to me if i don't teach it why says so the arm of a scale or a leveling rod they have compartments in them they have little compartments in them that you can put metal in it the yoke of the yoke also has a compartment in it And the poor person's cane also has a compartment in it. What does he care about these compartments? He says a scale, you want to buy a scale. You're going to buy, let's say, for example, I don't know, vegetables. You buy them based on weight, right? So, he says the scale, the crooks, they have a little scale that has a hole in it they put a piece of metal in there. So it makes the side heavier than what it really is. So you're really buying a half a pound of potatoes, but you're paying for a pound of potatoes. Because they put the, this little compartment that you can't see, they have the extra metal that makes it, the half a pound seem like it's a pound. So that makes it tameh. Because if they can use it for cheating, makes it tameh. makes it impure. says so the leveling rod... For the basket, also, if you notice, it has also a little piece that you could put a piece of metal in it. Why would you put a piece of metal in it? Because then it could squash the uh, fruit even more, or whatever's in the basket even more. Makes it look like it's heavier. Like you filled it up with more weights. like, oh, look, shh, 30 pounds. What is it really? 22. 8 pounds. Changed. He says the uh, yoke... Has a compartment right behind the guy's neck. Why? He hides the money there. So he, come, he goes, he comes to you, says, Hey, listen, I'll sell your goods. Put the toys there, put whatever you want. I'll go to the market, I'll come back with the money. Guy comes back at the end of the day. Here, $100. What $100? dollars I will give you $500 worth of goods. Listen, it's all I have. Look, I don't have any pockets. No pockets, no nothing. What do you want? Check me. I said, okay. Where's the other 400 400 is inside the stick. poor person's cane. Back then they also had fake people. Poor person's cane. The guy's asking for change. Change, change, change. But in reality, this cane is hollow. And he has food and water in it. So he's asking for money just because the batlan doesn't want to work. He's lazy. He says they're asking for money. It's easy. It's easy asking for money. money. He has no busha. He has no honor. He has no nothing. He doesn't care about kavod or anything. He just wants money. It's like these special uh, news programs have once in a while. They catch these fake homeless people. I remember a few years ago, I saw this one uh, woman, she actually pretended to be like a, uh, like really like a gibenet. I don't know, how do you say gibenet? Gibenet is um, crippled, but not cripple, like a uh, humpback. humpback. She pretended to be a humpback. And she really, she would go and she'd like pretend like the whole thing. And then after, at the end of the day, and the whole day, she's like, you know, like this, and Mamas, like a whole show, she's being, get an Oscar for it. And at the end of the day, you see this girl goes to the restroom, she comes back, like a, uh, she just came back from a runway show. Brand new clothes, brand new this, brand new car, brand new everything. And the news network caught her at the end. So this poor person, he just doesn't want to work. It's not that he uh, doesn't have any money, his food is really in the king. So, from here, we learn that Chazal didn't just have knowledge about Torah, meaning just stories, halachot, you know, the rules. But Chazal had knowledge, what we call today street knowledge, street smart. In reality, it's all Torah. So why did Rabban Yochanan say, Oilim Omer, Oilim omar"? Why do you say, oh, woe unto me if I teach it, woe if I don't teach it? Al amar Rabbi Yochanan, Oilim omar devarim elu shazil medumim itchablot veamerot. Rabbi Yochanan says, woe unto me if I disclose the secrets and the criminals learn from this Mishnah. It's like, oh, look, I could get this Thing, make a hole in it, hide the money. I can get the scale, put a weight in it, make the money. I can cheat. I can learn to steal from the Torah. Yeah, okay. Good, it's great Torah. I learned how to steal. The criminal learns how to steal from the Torah. But then he says, But Woe unto us, if I don't teach this, where these crooks will think that we, Talmidim Chachamim, don't know their tricks. You know, he tells, see today, you see an Avrech, yeah, he's Avrech, the guy just learns Torah, what does he know in life? I'm not going to go to this Talmid Chacham, about my Shlom Bayit, what does he know about Shlom Bayit? He's in a, he reads a book all day. I'm going to ask him, business problem. What does he know about business? He learns Torah, he learns about Moshe Rabbein, what business was Moshe Rabbein when? What does he know about business? What does he know about Shlom What does he know about kids? Oh, kids he knows because he has 8 kids. What does he know about real life? What does he know about my partner cheating me? What does he know about Google AdWords? What does he know about marketing? What does he know about the stock market? What does he know about algorithms? What does he know about science? What does he know about government? What does he know? He's a little avrech, makes a thousand dollars a year. What does he know? So a real Talmud Chacham, Rabbi Yochanan tells us, if someone's a real Talmud Chacham, they know everything. Everything. Meaning every subject with its business, science, It's not just knowing a little bit. Like most people that we consider smart in the secular world usually have an expertise in one subject, sometimes two, but usually it's one subject, and they know a little bit about a lot of things. Most people that we think are smart, but they're not really that smart, they're just average, they know a little bit about a lot of things, but they're not an expert in anything. And then there's the fools who don't know anything about anything. But secular knowledge in general means you know a lot about one thing and then a little bit about a bunch of things, so it makes you seem like you know a lot about a lot of things. You ask the guy who's the president, he says, Obama. No, no, it's Obama. I was like, okay, so I was close enough. You ask the guy, you know, what do you think of the stock market? I tell you, oh, Dow Jones is a good company. No, no, it's not a good company, it's, it's an index. Okay, I was close. They know a little bit of. He knows what the Dow. He heard what the Dow Jones is. He heard what the Nasdaq was. He heard what an algorithm is. But he doesn't know exactly everything. But you ask him, well, what about? What do you know about spinal surgery? Oh, psh, write your book because he's a spinal surgeon. He's an expert. That is secular knowledge. Torah knowledge, on the other hand, someone that's a tamit Chacham will be well-rounded in all subjects, an expert in many many subjects including secular knowledge. Einstein one time was told that there's a big rabbi big Talmud called the Robachover the Robachover rabbi. And uh, they said why don't you uh, meet him? Einstein another Jew Jew meets Jew they went they sat in a room. Sometime later, Einstein comes out, tearing his hair out, saying, with his brain, you can make two Einsteins. Make two Einsteins with his brain. They told this to the rabbi after. And they said, look, he well, gave you a lot of honor. He thinks you're a big smart. He goes, smart. Because his shtuyot, he was talking about atoms and the atom bomb and all this and it's all shtuyot. He wants to see smart. Come learn Gemara with me. Then I'll, talk, I'll show him what's smart. Show him my real knowledge. So Rabban Yochanan here is telling us that we have knowledge in the Torah about illegal things, stealing, and all types of things. But he's saying, listen, if I teach it, the criminals can learn. What should we do? So, Rav Shmuel Baritzchak, in Gemara above Metziah, page 89b, says, in the book of Oshea, chapter 14, verse 10, it says, Mi ve'yeven ele navon ve'idam, ki yeshirim darkei darke Hashem. Translation, who is wise and will understand these things? Who is understanding and will know them? For the ways of Hashem are straight, and the righteous will walk in them, while the sinners will stumble over them. Interpretation, we don't care what the Rashaim do. We do what Hashem wants. Hashem has something in the Torah, we teach it. We teach the truth. We don't care about if it's going to offend somebody, not going to offend them, if they like it, they don't like it, if it gets in the way of their uh, schnitzel party, or if it gets in the way of their organization's uh, you know, mission plan. We teach the truth. Even if it means that there's a possibility that a thief is going to learn from it, and will use it for bad. Why? Because Hashem says that the meaning the way of Hashem is straight. The tzaddikim are going to learn it, they're going to fulfill it, while the wicked will use it and they'll stumble over it by the end. They'll end up getting in trouble at the end because of it. Why? Because they're looking for excuses. The Torah didn't make them reshaim; They were already Rashaim before the Torah. They just used it to find excuses. In today's world, we see sometimes people that call themselves religious, but it seems like they don't do anything. Everything has a etel, everything has an excuse not to do it, everything has a leniency. And the guy could show you sources. Look at the source here it says I don't have to do this. The source here I don't have to do this. There's a source here, I don't have to do this. By the end of the conversation, you does not do anything. So for that, we call somebody like Tao the Ramban call somebody like that Naval Torah. a degenerate thanks to the Torah meaning that he uses the Torah to find loopholes not to find a way to connect to Hashem so today we have a lot of that on the other hand we also have people that are too stringent where they make these strange things, additions to the Torah they say listen you did tshuvah you have to go to a mikveh every day. Not even miss one day, Khashva Shalom. You have to go, you have to take the klipot. We talked about klipot, like anybody understands what that means, Bakal. It's Kabbalah. Most people don't even know how to spell Kabbalah. No, you have to take care of the klipot and you have to go to mikveh seven days a week. Yeah, but Shabbat, you know Shabbat's a little bit of a problem. Go to a mikveh, especially if you're Sephardic. You have to be careful. No, no, you can't miss. You have to go to, you have to go, you have to go to a mikveh. You have to go on Shabbat, you have to go this, you have to go this, and on the Yom Kippur, you have to wear white, you have to do all these things. Okay, so you want to do all these things, Chazak Baruch. Let me ask you something. Making tea on Shabbat. Do you know how to make? Making tea on Shabbat. Do you know how to do it? Take cup, he tells you, take cup, put tea bag, put sugar, put the water, you're finished. No, my friend. You just violated Shabbat. Has to use klisheni. You have to put the water into a cup without the tea, and then from that cup, then to the tea with the tea bag and everything else. So instead of learning the how to make tea, tea, tea that my little baby is two years old, she knows how to make tea already. You go to mikveh seven days a week, you don't know how to make tea on Shabbat. What's the mikveh doing for you? What's the klipa doing for you? What's the uh wear in white? Doing for you nothing. Do you even know what it means to wear white on Yom Kippur or Shana? Do you know what Rav said about people that wear white in today's generation? He calls them chutzpanim. He calls them people that you know chutzpanim. I don't know, rude people. Why? It doesn't belong in this generation, he says. It doesn't belong. You think you're doing a mitzvah because all your friends are wearing white? You look like fools. It doesn't belong in this generation. You look at like, uh, baba. Hashem doesn't want babas. He wants Jews, normal Jews, simple. So you have two extremes. Some people don't say anything and say, drive to Shabbat, as long as you give tzedakah, you're a tzaddik. And the other one gives you things that are not really going to connect you to Hashem. So where do you have to do? You have to go to the middle. You have to go to the truth. The truth is, you find a way, you find a source, you learn the Torah, you take responsibility, and you start learning it. You start learning what Hashem actually said, and not what this guy with a beard that's free said. This is also, just in case anyone wants more sources, aside from the Mishnah, it's also in Kohelet Rabbah, Vilna, Parashat Vav, uh, 6, and Parashat Tet, which is 9. It's also in Yalkut Shimoni, Parashat Kedoshim, uh, Remez Tafresh Yud Chet, which is 618, and also multiple other sources that back everything I just said. Point being is that Rabban Yochanan taught us that it's not just the mystical things that he knew, you know, because it says, you know, Rabban Yochanan. What did he teach? What's the main thing that made these students special? He also taught them wisdom beyond our understanding. Things like Maaseh Merkava, Maaseh Bereshit, which is things that happened that happened in the heavens, things that happened before this world existed, Kabbalah stuff. The Torah they knew we don't have anymore. We don't have. It's far, far beyond our comprehension. He so you knew how to speak to the angels, well. you know he you knew how to speak to the trees, he you knew how to speak to the demons, meaning that he spoke to them. His students, students, student Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, one time they sent him to Rome, they said, listen, they put a decree on Am Yisrael, you're used to miracles, you're used to miracles, go over there and do something. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai prayed on the way, all of a sudden, demon shows up look yeah how can I help you he goes oh, I'm here to help you demon come to work fam free not even minimum wage comes free do whatever you want what can you do for me he goes I can go into the Caesar's daughter make her go crazy you're gonna show up they're gonna tell you oh can you do anything about this crazy little daughter I have he goes yeah I know this demon I can take him out you say come out I'll come out they'll give you whatever you want sounds good right Rabbi Shimon Yochai, when he saw the demon, and the demon said, I'm going to help you, he started crying. Start crying, hysterical crying. It's like, why are you crying? Rabbi Shimon? we have help from Shalayim. Because what help we have? We have a demon. We have a demon to help us. But Avraham Avinu, even his shifcha, his maidservant, his maidservant, Hashem sent her angels. His maidservant of Avraham Avinu, got angels, and what do we get? We get a demon? He's crying about getting a demon. This is the Rabbi Shimon. His rabbi was Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, his rabbi was Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos and Rabbi uh, Yoshua. And their rabbi was Rabbi Yohanan. So if he was able to get a demon to help him on demand, like Netflix, what is Rabbi Yohanan able to get? Instead, so what we're dealing with here? So now, Rabbi Yochanan is telling us these are my serious students. These are the best of the best. We first start with Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinos. Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinos wasn't exactly a Ben Torah when he was a child. As a matter of fact, according to many sources, until he was 28 years old, he knew nothing. To a point where he didn't even know how to read or write. 28 years old. But his father was Halkinos, Ashil, multi-millionaire. Huge. One day, Eliezer is working... And he sees this material world is worthless. He's like, I know the truth. It's in Torah. I want to go learn Torah. But he's like, where am I going to start? There's no yeshiva. There's no local yeshiva. There's no Torahanytime.com. I'm going to learn Torah. So he starts crying, we skin. Hulk, knows his father, the millionaire, sees him. He goes, what? What happened? Why? Is this, is this job that I gave you too difficult? Okay, go to the next department. It's a little easier. He goes to the next department. The next day, his father sees him crying again. Why? This work is also difficult for you. Go to the next department. It's even easier. The next day, he's crying again. No, what happened? The work is so difficult. He goes, no, no, Abba. I have to tell you something. I've decided I'm going to learn Torah. Torah? I told you, you're 20 years old. If you told me when you were a kid you wanted to go learn Torah, then okay, then you could be something someday. Start learning. First, you have to learn Aleph Bet. You have to learn something. You don't know anything. You're 20 years old. Get married. Take over the business. Make a few million with your brothers. And that's it. No, Once you retire or something, you can learn some Torah. Make your money first. No? Make your money. Build a castle. What do you got to do first? First, you build the factory. Then you build the castle. Then you go learn Torah. You can't build the castle, then the factory, because then you can't pay for the castle. You have to build the factory first. Then the castle. And then you go learn Torah. That's the mindset of the secular mind. other Hashem, at least they're going to learn Torah one day. But in reality, where is it supposed to be? The same thing that Yaakov Avinu did. Yaakov Avinu, when he found out that his son is a millionaire, he's leading Egypt, he didn't say, oh, great, finally I can retire. Now what he said, Yudah, go over there to Goshen, build me a yeshiva, then I'll move. Until the yeshiva is not finished, I'm not moving. He didn't say, go build me a house. Yeshiva, build me a yeshiva, so I know there's going to be Judaism there. I know I can learn Torah. Castle after, the house, this, my son being a 1000000 doesn't matter to me at all. I need a place to learn Torah so we have it twisted and Olkinos even though he was a righteous man also had it twisted so Eliezer couldn't take it and he started crying hysterical until he had the merit for Hashem to send him Eliyahu Anavi Eliyahu anavi came to Eliezer ben and he said why are you crying son and he says I want to learn Torah because then you should so immediately yeah, this is the first time anyone's ever supported I'm saying you should learn to lie. what are you saying are you crazy you learn Torah go make money your father's a millionaire your father's a millionaire what do you need to learn Torah for go it's your family business you're made already go find yourself a girl build yourself this build yourself that what do you need to learn Torah for hire somebody to learn Torah for you <laughs> give $500 a month to an Avrich, i will learn for you you get the mitzvah anyway what do you get first time you hear somebody says yeah 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 go you should he gets excited. He goes, "Where? Where can I go? Where can I go?" He goes, "Go to Yerushalayim. There's a rabbi called Rabban Yochanan. Go to him. He's gonna teach you. Who's Rabban Yochanan? Rabban Yochanan is Kdol Ado. He's telling him, "Go to Kdol He's gonna teach you. You don't even know a little bit. You don't even know a little bit. Go to Rabban Yochanan." He tells him. Huh? <laughs> okay so it says to him go to the G'dol Adol, the one that can revive the dead the one that knows things that we can't even understand and I'll teach you so Eliezer goes to Yerushalayim and he goes to the yeshiva, and he listens to the first shiur by Rabban Yohanan. And all of a sudden, Rabban hears somebody crying. Nobody crying? From the students? He goes, Who's crying? He goes, "Who's crying? Who's crying?" And they all point to this little new guy, Eliezer. He's like, "Why are you crying, son? Because he I'm here listening to you for all this time. I don't understand even one word that you said. I don't understand anything." Rabbi Khanan saw the love that he has for the Torah and for how much he wanted Torah. They said, don't worry, I'll have, I'll give a couple of Avrechim, a couple of my students, they're going to come teach you, they're going to sit with you, they're going to teach you. So that's what they did, and they started teaching him, teaching him, and teaching him. And every day they're teaching him more, and, and Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinos, nothing was ever enough. He learned one Mishnah, he wants another Mishnah. He wants one, one commentary, he wants to learn the other commentary. One Gemara, another Gemara, nothing's ever enough. The more you give him, the more he wants. Just like we have desires for money, you give him a hundred, he wants two hundred. Yes, for Torah. You give him one Mishnah, he wants two Mishnah. Non-stop, non-stop, more, and more, more, more Torah, non-stop. Eventually becomes a knowledgeable guy. And one day Abanya Yochanan comes to the yeshiva and he smells something not so smelly. Not so delicious like these flowers that we got interrupted for. He smells something not so good. He looks, 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 because you're not allowed to pray or learn if there's bad smell. Not allowed to pray or smell or if there's bad smell. If there's bad smell in any place, you're not allowed to pray. Or learn. You have to remove it. So, he looks, 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 eventually finds out where is it coming from, this awful, awful smell that he could smell from a hundred yards away, the mouth of Rabbi Eliezer. Find out how is it possible that his mouth is so smelly. He's probably fasting. He's probably fasting, he's not eating, and eventually it creates a problem. So he asks the two people that are hosting him because he's in a hotel where they don't feed you. They're just a hotel to sleep in. Like, what are you feeding him every day? You give him food? He goes, no, no, he never eats with us. Because So what does he eat? He goes, I don't know. Okay, so let's ask the bala Let's go ask the person that he's staying in his house. Go find out for me and tell me. So the students go over there. They go to the bala and they say, okay, what do you feed Eliezer every day? I don't feed him anything. He eats on his own. He goes, what does he eat? Because I don't really know what he eats, but I know that every so often, he goes behind his bed, he has this sack. He grabs something from the sack, he puts it in his mouth and that's it. He says, can we see it? So they go inside, they move the bed, they see the sack. What's in the sack? Boats. Mud. He's eating mud for months. How can someone live like this? The news comes back to Rabban Yochanan. Rabban Yochanan understands this is a special person. He didn't want to bother anyone. He didn't want to annoy anyone. He didn't want to interfere with anyone. He didn't want to take any risk for him to be thrown out of yeshiva. To be an expense on anyone. So he said, just give me Torah. I'll figure out the rest. And he was eating mud for months. Eat mud once. Try once. once. Try once. Feel what he felt for months. So Rabbi Yochanan said, that's Mesirut Nefesh Torah. And he gave Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkenos a blessing. He says, just like the smell of Torah you did, you, the smell in your mouth came from Torah, only amazing smell only amazing things will come out of the tar that you will actually inherit in general one day during the Chola uh, Moed of Pesach Rabbi Yochanan invited a lot of Gvirim a lot of people a lot of rabbis to give you know to celebrate and he asked the uh, Rabbi Eliezer to speak give a speech give Shil Torah no flowers though No, Shnitzel. Shnitzel they already ate before. Before I was finished, they started on time. So, he says, give a speech. He goes, no, what can I teach that my teacher doesn't know? He goes, no, no, you know, I give you something, you develop it. You're a big chacham." He goes, but maybe you're shy, you're embarrassed because I'm your teacher and I'm here and you don't want to teach next to me. So what I'll do is, I'll leave. I'll leave and you teach. So immediately, Rabbi Eliezer jumped out, no, 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 and he started teaching. Start teaching, 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 teaching. They said, no one's ever heard anything he said before. Everything was khidushim. To such an extent that his face started lighting like Moshe Rabbeinu's face lit in Mount Sinai. And at the same time, who comes in? Who was also invited? His father, Hokkenos. Why his father come to town for he came to town to see his rabbi, Rabban Yochanan, to tell him, "Listen, I made a swear many years ago that I'm, can't, you know, once my son leaves, I'm removing him from the will and giving everything to his brothers." So I came to the rabbi to confirm it. So he comes in to go see his rabbi, but then he hears the shiur. He sits down with the shiur. He's like, it's a lot of people. He just hears this amazing chinushim, sees this light about everyone he doesn't understand what's going on he says who is this rabbi who is this rabbi says, it's Eliezer says, Eliezer who who is this father he says, Eliezer ben Horkidosh he says, huh <laughs> he says, Eliezer ben Horkidosh me it's my son he goes sees his son be the Moshe Rabbeinu of his generation and he goes to Rabban Yochanan and he says I came here for one reason but now I want the opposite I want to take everything away from my other sons and give everything to him. And Abi Eliezer says to his father, Abba, if I wanted money from you, I would have stayed home. All I want is Torah. So the most I could agree to take, agree to take, not I want. most I agree to take, you want to give me? most I agree to take, just my share. Give the rest of the brothers. He didn't agree to take one penny more. Why didn't he agree to take one penny more? Because he knew something we're trying to get to know. What did he know? He knew the material, money, clothing, all the shtuyot that's in this world, is literally stuyot, it's meaningless. He knew what's really valuable, and he had it. So that's Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos. Now, Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos also had some... Amazing stories in the Torah. There was a big disagreement between him and Rabban Gamliel and all of the sages where in the Gemara Masechet Gitin, page 56, no, sorry, in Gemara Bav Metzia, page 59, there is a, uh, a big argument between Eliezer Ben-Holkinos, and all of the sages, about alakha of of purity and purity, in regards to making a oven. And he says, listen, I got this from this alakha, from Moshe Rabbeinu, I know I'm right. All of the other rabbis are saying, you're wrong. He says, okay, if I'm right, the tree, Hashem's going to give me the, you know, to make it happen. He's going to cut the tree in half. Boom! It happens. Tree cuts in half. Rabbi say we don't learn ala'chot from trees. Next thing he says, if I'm right, the water from the river that goes in one direction, it's going to go the opposite direction. It's going to go against the current. Or opposite, reverse. It's going to change nature for me. Boom. That's what happens. The river starts going backwards. Where Rabbi say, Sorry, we don't learn halachot from rivers. And there's a few other ones. One time he says, If I'm right, the wall of the bet Midrash is going to topple over. And one of the other, I think it was Rabbi Yehuda, stopped it. He goes, Okay, okay, stop, stop, enough. We don't want to kill anyone. He says, if I'm right, there's going to be a bat call from Shemaim saying I'm right. Hashem will send a voice, saying Rabbi Eliezer is right. You want more than that? And as you would have it, a bat call came from Shemaim. and says, why do you disturb my son Rabbi Eliezer ben horkinos Don't you know the Alachai is always like him? Meaning he's always right. And the rabbi said, we're sorry, but we don't learn Allah from a bat call. Hashem gave a law to Am Yisrael, and he says the majority rules, not a bat call, not a one person. Majority, rabbis, we have an order. Yeah, but there's a bat call. Hashem just spoke. He gave us the rules. We're listening to the same Hashem. We're following his rules. I can't just decide that this Gemara means this because I decide that it means that. We have a system. How do we know the system? From our rabbis. Who know from their rabbis, from their rabbis, from their rabbis. And that's where we know that we don't have a rabbi. The whole system collapses. So now, Rabbi of the Uncle says, listen, I know the truth. I can't leave it. I can't change my mind. I know, I understand. I know the laws, but I can't change my mind. So because you're not going back, you're not turning your, uh, your mind, you're not going with us, we'll put you on Kherem. No one's allowed to learn from you anymore. You're not allowed to be part of the Bed anymore. This is Rabbi Eliyazar bin Halkinos, got thrown out. Got thrown out until almost the end of his life. And Chazal says, Nigmarah, the day that they actually put him on Kherem, Hashem decided to destroy the world. And the whole ocean started rocking. Hashem Mamash was destroying, starting to destroy the world. Until Aban Gamliel said, Hashem, you know I didn't do this for my honor. It is for your honor. You gave us rules. It's your rules. You said the sages have to decide. And that's what we're doing. I know it hurts, but I had to throw him out. Why? Because he would teach people the opposite. If one person teaches the opposite... They're going to say, maybe everything else is the opposite. It becomes Chidol Hashem. And Hashem quieted the world. But to show you how big Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos was, Hashem wanted to destroy the world for him. At the end of his life, Rabbi Akiva, which was one of his students, came to him and he was very upset at Rabbi Akiva. That he didn't come visit him all these years. And he said, uh, you are going to die a very strange death. To Rabbi Akiva. He predicted that he's going to die a very, very unusual death. And that's exactly what happened to Rabbi Akiva and all of the other students that he talked about. But he said, okay, I understand you're upset at me because I didn't come learn from you. I wish I would have come learn from you, but teach me something now. He started teaching him some stuff. In a matter of a few moments, he taught him uh, apparently more Torah than we have in this world but uh, one of the things that they, uh, he said, you think this is a lot of Torah. What I taught you is not even a drop of water of what I know. And what I know, if is all of the ocean is ink, and all of the trees were pens, and all of the land was paper. It wouldn't be enough to write down all the knowledge that I know. And all of the knowledge that I know, it's not even like a dog that licks water from the ocean in comparison to my teachers. Rabban Yochanan. So, this is the people we're dealing with here. Das is not even people, B'chal. This is angels. This is not normal. So, that's it's important to know these things about the sages. Because before we decide that we agree or disagree with them, we have to know who we're dealing with first. Now, Rabbi Ezra ben Holkinos said a few things that were very famous. In Gemara Masechet Eruvin, page 63a, he says, if a a person rules a a point of law in the presence of his teacher, chayav mitah. Someone that says Allah, somebody asks you, what's the alakha for kosher or something? And your rabbi is next to you. Rabbi is next to you, but somebody asks, what's the alakha for this? You answer instead of your rabbi, chayav mita, death penalty. Disrespecting the rabbi. You could ask the rabbi for permission if the rabbi didn't answer. But until the rabbi answers or gives you permission, I'll have to say alakha in front of your rabbi. Now if I told you this in the beginning of this year instead of after I just told you who Abiyah Eliezer ben Hokinos was it'd be a little different. Tell you this guy like hey, hey hey relax with your little rules okay I could say halachah just like my rabbi can he read the same book. He read the same book he read Rambam I read Rambam he read Shulchanuch I read Shulchanuch why can't I say it in front of my rabbi? What's the big deal? What is he a big head? He's arrogant didn't you say arrogant is not good? Didn't you say Moshe Rabbeinu was anav was humble? No, it's a rule. Next. He said, in page 48b, a person who has bread today, but still asks, what am I going to eat tomorrow? says, that person has no emunah. No emunah. Why no emunah? says, she's wondering, what is he going to eat tomorrow? Why does he have noemunah, if he's asking, where's my bread going to come tomorrow? Because if, obviously, Hashem cared enough for you to have food today, then you already see that Hashem runs the world. How could you be so ungrateful to at least not thank Him and believe in Him, at least until tomorrow? He's not telling you to believe in Him next week, next year, next month, or for your kid's wedding. He's saying, you got bread today. You can't believe in Hashem until tomorrow. You have no munah. You just got your paycheck, you're already worrying about the bills for next month. Why? Hashem gave you this month, we'll give you next month. How is he going to give it to you? Who knows? It's his business. It's not your business. It's his business I he's going to give you. It's one of the main things we're all lacking. We're all lacking emunah and Hashem. We're all constantly questioning Hashem. How are you going to do this? 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 Hashem, I don't have a job, so I'm going to make money. Hashem, I don't have any customers, so I'm gonna get money. Hashem, I don't have this, so I'm gonna do this. You constantly ask Hashem how, 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 how. Instead of focusing on what you need to do, you're focusing on what he needs to do. And if you're so you're so busy doing Hashem's job, who's doing your job? If you're so busy trying to figure out how is Hashem gonna do all these things, how are you gonna have any time to actually do the things? That will lead us up to do them. And last but not least, in Masechet Yevamot, obviously he said many things, but this is three famous ones. Masechet Yevamot, page 63b, says, Whoever refuses to have children is considered a murderer. This is because of the very same issue that we've talked about. Ba'och Hashem, we had several about the issue of wasting seed. When someone decides I don't want to have kids, obviously they have to do something. There's still a guy. There's still a man. They still have needs. They still have a wife. They didn't become a statue. Which means that if you're going to intentionally not have kids, that means that the sperm is going in the wrong places. So Abiyah the Holkino says, just so you know, in case you're wondering, we already knew 2,500 years ago you were murdering 300 million people each time. They already knew. They already knew it was murdered you know, 2,000 years ago. We didn't just figure it out now with the scientists. We didn't need the scientists. Abiyah is already knew. He already knew that every little cell has a name. Every cell has a name. Every cell has a potential in the Shema that's supposed to come to this world. And you decide, no, no, I don't want it. So you create a little holocaust times a thousand every day. No, no, it's... I don't want to ruin my wife's body. I don't want to ruin her body. She's so nice, pretty, she's 22 years old. I'm not ready for kids. Or oh, the best. We don't have any money for kids. Tuition. Tuition. What tuition? The kid's a baby. No, but who knows if I'm going to have the money? Let me get the money first enough money for the yeshiva, then I'll have the kid. So by time he gets the yeshiva, it's already grew, because I'm invested in Microsoft stock with dividends. All this sh'tuyot are in people's head, thinking that they're responsible for the money. The kid comes with money. Hashem sends him with the money. Once you make rules that are against the Torah, why does Hashem get upset? Just because you're pretty much saying that I'm wrong, when you make a rule that's against my Torah, you're saying that my Torah is wrong, my instructions are wrong. I manufactured you, but I made a mistake in my own creation. I said bring kids to the world, I'll give you parnasah. I say have Shlom I'll give you parnasah. I say don't waste seed, I'll give you parnasah. I say be honest, I'll give you parnasah. I say keep Shabbat, keep mitzvot, I'll give you parnasah. You don't do any of them, and then you complain to me. And on top of that, you want to blackmail me. You say, no, 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 Hashem, first give me the panasad, then I'll do it. it and sometimes Hashem, Hashem does it. Sometimes Hashem gives you Gives you the panasai, gives you not panasai, gives you a lot, it gives you a Ferrari and a penthouse, and another house, and a vacation house, and if that's not enough, you get another house, and the plane, and everything else. What happens? You become the biggest kofer, you have a website against rabbis. <laughs> Why? You say, <laughs> I made all of it. I don't need God. Secret. 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 Secret <laughs> So, Rabbi Elizabeth and Olkinos was a very, very tough, very tough sage. One time, it didn't rain for several days, the Gemara says, and he told everybody that we have to fast. We have to fast several days until it starts raining. After the 13th day, it still didn't rain. 13 fast, they did already, it still didn't rain. But everybody left the shul, like we leave the shul after Yom Kippur. How do you leave the shul at Yom Kippur? It was happy, hey, hey, hey. all of a sudden you're not hungry. You haven't eaten 24. An hour before the fast, you're dying. Fast is over, now you don't even want to go home. You just want to hang out with the guys. All of a sudden, we don't want want to to eat. No, just give me a candy, it's fine. Give me a little sip of tea. I go fast for another two weeks. You ever notice that? During the fast, 8 o'clock in the morning, no, 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 I can't wake up from prayer. I'm dying from not eating or drinking. I can't go pray. I want to sleep all day. Sleep all day. I can't. I haven't eaten a whole six hours. The fast is over, all of a sudden we don't want to go home. We want to hang out with the guys, plan a vacation, plan a barbecue, plan this, plan that. All this sh'tiyot that we plan, all of a sudden the Yetzirah doesn't bother us. Why? Is a rule in the Torah. Mayim imtaku. Stolen water are sweeter. When we're not allowed to do something, that's what we want to do. Water, if you steal it or you buy it, stays the same. Actually, check, check those. Check. What is the same? You stole it or you bought it's the same. But if you stole it, you say, no, it's sweeter. What's sweeter? It's the same flavor. Same thing with mitzvot. The thing that you're not allowed to do, that's what you're going to want. They actually did an experiment on this. They showed uh, guys, identical twins. Women, identical twins. They said, which one's prettier? They look exactly the same. Everyone said, the one on the left. Why? We find out later, she's married. So even subconsciously, the Yetzarah convinces us that that's what we want. They're exactly the same. It's the same person. But they want that one. The one on the left. Why? She's married. She's prettier. taku. So, Rabbi Ezra ben Hokano says, you leave leaving the kila, you're leaving the prayer, the rain didn't start 13 times. So everybody's like happy. Like, what are we doing? Prayed. We did our job. So Rabbi Ezra says, did you finish digging your graves yet? Because we're going to die. Rabia says something like this. It's very scary. Everybody started crying. Everybody started crying and ran back to shul. Two minutes later, rain started. He goes, okay. Now I know you prayed. What's the prayer all about? We go to pray. Pray. shachrit, Mincha. Arvit. Yom Kippur, Shabbat, Rosh Hashanah. What's the prayer for? What does Hashem want from us? He really needs us to repeat these words. What does He want? He wants your heart. He wants your heart for a few minutes. Give me a few minutes. Why did it make the prayer so long? If you look at the sidu of Avraham Avinu, it's not even 10% of our sidu. You look at the sages even from a couple of hundred years ago. You look at their Sidur, our Sidur, it's not even comparison. And I'm talking about English and Hebrew. Talk talking about just, just the basic Sidur. It's much, much bigger. Much bigger today than it was a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago. Much, much bigger. Why? Back then they connect to Hashem like that. They'd meditate an hour, according to Gemara Brachot, an hour before prayer. Then the prayer itself, another hour. Then to get down from the high level they got to, they'd have to meditate another hour. So Chazal asks, when they have time to study Torah? They're praying three, nine hours a day. They say, answer, Alvai Adam, Itpalel Tamid. Hashem wishes that a person will pray all day. 24 hours a day. It do So, but even that, you need to know how to do it, and it also has to come along with a lot of Torah. You can't just go into the middle of the woods, smoke weed, and think it's <laughs> We have to, We have to be serious with Yid bodidut. You tell most people Yid bodidut, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, the uh, Ben Ischai, Chazonish, and Baal Shem Tov all were smoking weed together. No, no, they weren't. They were all tzadikim, they all did mitzvah. they all knew the entire Shuchan Aruch, they all fulfilled the entire Shuchan Aruch. And then the was part of what they were doing. In today's world you have to explain these things. You throw words at people, people say, okay, so I could just go to the woods and hang out with my friends with uh, ecstasy and say I'm feeling I'm close to Hashem. People will give you all types of reasons, all types of things. All types of things. People will make what what never heard that. What they don't do that in all these places, they go to graves. They go to graves once a year. What they all tickim the over there? No. A lot of people do stiot over there. A lot of people do stiot. So anyway, the uh, the key is to, well, this um, Facebook may, may die out soon because uh, my battery's dying. But anyway, the Rabir Dezah uh, Ben-Holkinos was a very, very serious person and there was no shortcuts. There was no, hey, listen, you could just do half the mitzvot and you have nothing to worry about. He actually, if you look at it, every time he's mentioned in the Gemara, every time he mentions in the Torah, he's the ultimate rebuker. No gray area. It's black or white. If it's true, it's true. If it's not, it's not. After him, we have Rabbi Joshua, ben Chanania. His chokhmah was so extraordinary that they say that he would debate people from all over the world. Debate the geniuses of all the world, all the day, Goyim. He would debate them in different issues. What uh, time is it? 12. Um, he would debate them. Gemara Second Shabbat, page 152. Sanhedrin, page 90B. Uh, talks about different debates that he had. One time, the uh, Caesar's daughter came to him and says, How do you have all this wisdom and such an ugly body? Because he was ugly. How do you have all this wisdom and such an ugly body? Well, your God couldn't make a good looking guy. And he says, Well, how do you have all this precious wine that you have in your storehouse, in your castle, in such ugly canisters? wood it's the ugliest thing He goes well, what should I have here? she goes you're Caesar you can afford at least gold she goes you're right runs home she commands everyone put all the wine in gold barrels a few days later all the wine is ruined her father comes and goes what would you do she goes what I listened to the Chacham I listened to the Jew which Jew Rabbi Joshua bring him here. Why did you tell him? Why did you tell her to put it in gold? So I tried to explain to her. She asked me, how could my God make such amazing knowledge in such an ugly body? And I knew she's not going to understand my answer, so I gave her an example. I told her that her barrels for her wine are also ugly, but maybe she's saying something. And she saw that it ruined it. The answer is, if I wasn't ugly, I wouldn't be Rabbi Yeshua. Because you spend more time, when you're better looking, you spend more time doing other things, you have more yetzara. But from him, one of the main things that we learn is that he spent his life doing two major things. One is to make sure that the Torah lasts. He did everything he possibly can to make sure that the Torah lasts, goes to the next generation. But the next thing that he did is that he rejected any excessive mourning over the temple, any chumrot. In Gemara Baba B- B- Batra, page 60b, you have stories of how other people were continuing to mourn and be sad over the Bet el-Mikdash. He said, no, no, we have to focus on Torah, we have to focus on today. And same thing with people that wanted to do above and beyond. Stringencies. Go on to mikveh 18 times a day. Wear the strings. Wear the strange hats. Wear this. Wear that. You go, no, no, no. Let's be basic level Jews. That's already enough. Just follow the Tashu You're already okay. Where does this come from? It's coming from a Tana. It comes from a Tana. It comes from a It's not coming from me. He's able to revive the dead. He says, just be basic. Do what you need to do. Be an expert at doing that. He says in the Torah, wear tzitzit, wear tzitzit. says the Torah, you have to cover your head at all times, cover your head at all times. A lot of people have a problem with it. Like, no, no, I'll cover my head when I'm going to Bik What about outside when you're at work? No, no, I don't want to do it. Why not? You're scared people are going to know you're Jewish. Chas V'Shalom. You're embarrassed to being Jewish. How do you know somebody actually did tshuva? Just a a really important question. How do you know somebody is serious about their tshuva? What if somebody goes to Bikneset every day? Is he serious about his tshuva? A lot of people go to Bikneset every day, but they drive on Shabbat. I actually have a a few, three people in my community. They drive to Nets every day. Also Shabbat. They drive on Shabbat. Tenetz. Tenetz, benet. I'm not joking. not joking. Three people at least, I think it's more than three people, but three for sure. I see them every time. They drive Tanits on Shabbat. So, going to it doesn't necessarily mean that you are your true serious. If you wear, if you have really expensive tefillin, two of them, you have Rabbeinu Tam, Rashi, the Zohar one, this one, or Yochanan, whatever you have, you have 18 feeling on your head. Serious? I have a guy, he has two feeling. But, he also wastes seed 80 times a day. And on top of that, he's married to someone he's not allowed to be married to. Chubai serious. But he has tefillin. When do you know if somebody is serious about their shuvah, What's the sign? Obviously learning Torah. But you don't know who's going to learn Torah who's not. You don't know what they do in their private time. The way you know if somebody's chuvah is serious, one of the best signs is if they publicize it. If they're constantly trying to... To bring other people with them. They're constantly talking about what they're doing. They're constantly talking about Hashem. They're constantly becoming a billboard for Hashem. What's the best way to be a billboard for Hashem? A tiny, nice, big keeper. Ble- black keeper on your head. What's the best example? I'll tell you today. I'll tell you today, this is an example, just fits the shoe. I didn't plan this, obviously. But on the way here, I drove and, um, at the light, I stopped and there was this uh, poor guy, Miskani was collecting tzedakah. Now I have a policy my whole life, pretty much, that I've always done, is that whatever first bill comes out of my pocket, that's what I give. And this has always been the case. When I had a lot of money and it was mostly hundred dollar bills, or when I didn't have any money and it was a quarter. Whatever it was, whatever first bill comes out of my pocket, that's what I give. Because whatever comes out, it's, Hashem wants it to come out. It's not my money anyway. It's always been my policy. I don't know why, even when I didn't know anything about Torah, it's always been my thing. So anyway, so the guy comes and I, you know, I call him over and I take out a bill and it comes out to be a $5 bill and I give it to the guy. And the guy looks at me and goes, Oh, God bless you. God bless you. He starts talking to me about God. Why are you talking to me about God? If I had a uh, swastika on my face, talking to me about God? If I didn't wear a keeper, I was like this. I look like Saddam Hussein to him. He talking about God. He told me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, don't bomb me. What is he gonna tell me? But I have a keep on. It says, God bless you. Why? Because he knows we're the people of the book. Why are you so embarrassed of being a Jew? Why are we so embarrassed about a Jew? Why? Why is the Arab praying in the middle of Times Square and we're scared to pray in the airport? Oh I don't want to have such a big keeper. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for what? For what is it it doesn't look good? What is it scared about not looking good? For who? For what? What doesn't look good? You're the chosen people. What doesn't look good but being the chosen people? Is that what you're going to say? Mashiach comes? Oh, it didn't look good to be a Jew. Okay, so stay with them. At the end of times, you have to understand. There's no 50%. Either you're righteous or you're wicked. Either you're with Hashem or nothing. That's it. No 50-50. Either it's full tshuva, or it's nothing. Now obviously, Hashem is not telling you you have to know the entire Torah, like Rabbi Hanan. But stop being a faker. Stop saying to people, no, no, I'm doing tshuva, but you're scared to wear a kippah. You're scared to wear a Oh, it's hot. It's hot without a tzitit also. Oh, I can't wake up in time. I have to do tefillin at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So people say. You got to stop being a faker. Now one of the ways that we justify our terrible behavior is by doing humrot. We don't do the basics, but we add things. We go to the mikve 80 times a day, but we don't pray on time. We tell people to go to shiul, but we don't go to the shiul. So, Rabbi Yoshoab and Hanania, Amal, the next one is Rabbi Osiyah Kohen Rabbi was known as the real Hasid He's the official Hasid but What's a Hasid? Not like today Hasid is not someone that has the big hat or the uh, all these strange things As a matter of fact some of these minagim came from Goim. I'm not insulting the Hasidut or anything, but the point is is that we have to know where all all these things came, like for the whole hat situation, that was not exactly, it didn't come from a good place originally. Now it's good, but back then it didn't come from a good place originally. And some of the Minagim don't necessarily always have clear sources. But nonetheless, a Hasid doesn't mean that you wear a certain clothing. At all. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Gemara, in... Believe it's so yeah, Maybe it's not. Oh, yeah, no. Say Tanit. Gemara in Tanit. They talk about doing tshuva. Tanit means uh, fasting. So, page fifteen a says God saw their sackcloth and their fast. But rather, God saw their deeds, and they repented their evil way. And the prophets, it states, said, and rend your hearts and not your clothes. Translation of everything I just said, the most important aspect of the fast is not the fast. It's not the fact that you're not eating. But the actual true tshuva. So Chazal asks, Okay, fine. But what does it have to do? Why does it say rent your hearts and not your clothes? What does it have to do with the clothes? And Rashi gives the uh, translation and he uses the source from uh, Sefer Yoel, the the prophet Yoel chapter 2, verse 13. He says that one has to understand the real tshuva has nothing to do with clothing. Whether you wear the stream or not, you wear the stream it doesn't make a difference as long as you're modest. As long as you're modest. As long as you're not showing me your lion like a lot of guys like to do. They like to show you their chest hair like everybody. It's like for public knowledge. Like the shirt has to be open. Like we John Travolta from the 1970s. Bukharian style. Bukharian style too. Oh no, it's also everybody's that. So it's, 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 it's everybody's jumping in. Everybody, everybody's throwing their hat in there. Everyone wants to open their shirt because they want to show everybody who have chest that well, men. So just in case you thought I was a woman, now you know I'm a man. That's one. Two, we like to wear the tight pants so everybody knows exactly the size of centimeters of our thigh. Everyone wants to wear these tight pants. Three, we wear clothes that are not modest in general. Women, Hashem, R'achem. I see many women with kisugosh but with mini skirts. I don't understand. Don't you understand that the difference between The difference between Gan Eden and Genom in this generation is six inches. Six inches. Why six inches? Because if you notice, many women, Baruch Hashem, started covering their hair, became stylistic. There's even websites called Rapunzel and a few other websites that make it like stylish to wear Kisulosh. So they wear it. But what happens? They have to wear a short skirt. How short? It's exactly six inches too short. Every girl, she's like, no, no, I'm going to wear a skirt. She doesn't like skirts, but all of a sudden she likes skirts. Not pants, skirts. Okay, so why don't you wear the skirt? Six inches longer, let it cover the knees. And then you're a kosher woman. No, it has to barely cover the knee or not cover the knee at all. Me, Mama, six inches different, Ganed and gainom. That's the difference, six inches. Yetzirah is very strong, but Yetzirah is, not, Yetzirah is doing his job. We can't let him win. The point is here is that People have to understand, clothing, it's not tshuva. Behavior is tshuva. Ah, oh, phone died. It's a uh, was mentioned, shut up, my phone. <laughs> the Facebook calls batteries twice a battery. Ken, what can you do? Next one, Rabbi Shimon Benetanel, Rashet Tevot Bashan. Shimon ben Netanel Bashan. Chazal tells us in the uh, secret mystical part of the Torah. I guess that's why Facebook can't listen to it. Uh, bashan means that his nitsots of his neshama came from Og. Og melech ha-Bashan. The giant. Not that it was a gilgul of Og, but the tum'ah that Og had had to have some type of Kedushah supported. Meaning that in life we learn that everything that's a lie must have some truth in it if it's going to last. A lie cannot stand by itself. Like if I told you, I'm blue. You'd obviously know, because nonsense. But if I told you that, I don't know, I'm 5'10" some of you are going to say no he's not 5'10 some of you are going to say ok he's 5'10 but I'm not 5'10 I wish I was 5'10 <laughs> but the point I'm trying to say is that there's some truth in it because I'm close not close there's a little bit of truth into this Christianity says we believe in the Torah but we also believe that some guy died for everybody you don't have to do anything and cancels out all the mitzvot so why does 2 billion people listen to them Because there's some truth in it. They say the Torah is true. We know that there was Mount Sinai. No one's saying Mount Sinai didn't happen. No one's saying Moshe Rabbeinu didn't get the Torah. No one's saying Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were the forefathers of Judaism and everything else. We're agreeing with all of it. We even like the Vida Melech. Every Christian knows Psalms by heart. Better than the Jews. So two billion people are believing a false religion... That's full of lies, mistakes, and foolishness. And bottom line is 100% Abu Dazara. Why? Because of some truth. And if you also look in the Hebrew language, the word Shekir, each, each one of the letters has a single leg. Shekir, the sheen, is, is a pointy sheen, so that's one leg, stands on one point. The kuf has a, a long line, so that's one leg. And the Resh has only one leg. Emet, on the other hand, the word Emet, the Aleph has two legs. The mem has one big leg that covers the whole ground. And the Taf also has two legs. Meaning that a Sheker only stands on one leg. It's easily broken if you just uncover it. A Christian that's really looking for the truth, one, two, three, you can prove him the, the truth. One that's not looking for the truth, it doesn't matter how many proofs you give him, it's not going to help there's some people that we try to help them. Mamash, it's two seconds. These people want to convert. They want to be more Jewish than the biggest Jew in history. Other people, you want to help them? You could bring them, Moshe Rabenu to the meeting, have suda with them, eat, explain to them, they still won't believe. No, 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 but uh, that guy died. What that guy died? Doesn't make a difference. Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, he spoke to God. Who was this idiot that died 2,000 years ago? What do you care about him? That even exists bechla. The only source that you have for JC Penney existing is the Gemara. The only source, the only not you know the objective source, meaning the only actual source is the New Testament. New Testament though was written between seventy and three hundred years after he died. So the only source of document that was written at the time he lived that mentions the person of my name of Jesus is. The Gemara. So some of these Christians, or Messianic Jews they call themselves sometimes, they say, look, your Gemara says that he existed. I said, yeah, but did you read what the Gemara says? It says he's in the seventh level of hell, and he's being burned in feces, boiling feces. It says he's a Rasha it says that he's the worst person on earth. He was a, you know, Eshet-Ish. He went again with a married woman. It says the worst possible things about this person. He goes, yeah, no, no. That's because you don't understand the Gemara. <laughs> oh, Rashi doesn't understand the Gemara either. Tosfo doesn't understand the Gemara. Rambam doesn't understand the Gemara. Nobody, you understand. You don't even speak the language, but you understand the Gemara. Just last week you discovered how to how to even spell Torah. Now you're telling me you understand the Gemara better than Rashi. So, point is, people like that, you can't help them. You can't help them. Why? Because they're not looking for the truth. They're looking for an excuse. So, the main thing we learned from Abishimu bin Netanel is that everything that's created in this world has to stand on some level of truth, some level of k'dusha, Even a lie. So even, this is actually how they say that, you know, even... Og Melech Abashan, who was bigger than that train behind me, Og Melech Abashan, the Tum'ah that he had, all the impurity and the sins and all the things that he had, still there was a mitzvotz of kedusha that it was covering, and that's where he came from. The Rabbi Elazar ben Arach, the last one. We'll learn in a couple of Mishnayot that he actually ended up becoming the biggest one out of all of them. He knew more than everybody else. So we learned, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, Rishon, Rishon, Chashuv. First things first. Why is, you know, everything is in order. When it's mentioned in a Mishnah, everything is in order. What's the most important? What's the least important? So why is he mentioned last? Zayad if you look at the life of Rabbi Elazar ben Arach, he was a giant, giant Chacham. And one day after the Balagan that happened with the Beit HaMikdash, everybody went to Yavne and eventually he left. He said, you know, he wanted everybody to follow him to wherever he was. And he didn't come. So he got up and he said, you know what? I'll go. I'll go to them and his wife says to him why would somebody as big as you you're the biggest one why would you go to your students let them come to you and he made a mistake and listened to her and he just sat there waiting on his vacation and started enjoying the pleasance of this world and Hashem says you leave my Torah for one day I leave you for two Meaning that you leave the Torah here. Why does it leave you for two? Why doesn't it just leave you for one? Because the Torah is moving. Just like you're moving, the Torah is moving. So right now you're moving together. You're learning Torah together. But if you decide to go in a different direction, the Torah keeps going, which means it's a distance of two. It doesn't stay. It doesn't wait for you. Same thing with hacham. Hashem gives you Torah for a reason. He gives you Torah to learn it, to teach it, to do something with it. If you don't, I'll take it away. If, and what ended up happening with Rabbi Azal ben Arach is that he actually forgot all of his Torah. He forgot all of his Torah until the Chachamim prayed for Hashem to give him back the Torah, which they did. He sent the and Navi to restore his Torah. But nonetheless, because of what he did, he obviously realized that he made a very big mistake. And for anyone who doesn't think that that's like a real story, is actually a real story like that today, someone I know. His name is Rav Zavichi, Rav Pinchas Zavichi. He's actually one of Gdolay huge giant Chacham. And uh, I, obviously it's not for this, I don't know what he did or what's, I mean he's just a giant in Torah, so he's at a level where he can get a tikkun like this. But I think it was maybe around 10 years ago, he, uh, I mean, he already wrote many, many books. His mamash was considered the next in line. And one day he had a stroke. And even though his body got back to normal and everything, he forgot all of his Torah. I think he had a couple of strokes. He forgot all of his Torah. To the point that he forgot how to read. Not that he didn't have the ability to, to read. like he, was, he became physically normal. But he forgot how to read. Then he eventually taught himself how to read. Then he... Uh, would try to give a shiur Torah, and he would say the wrong names instead of Avram Avinu, he'd say Noach, instead of no, things that are basic level, and people would correct them. But even though he forgot his Torah, the one thing that you can never forget is your midot, because that becomes part of you. And his midot were so amazing, they didn't care about the embarrassment. He didn't care about starting all over again. He didn't care about it taking longer. And little by little, over the last 10 years, Baruch Hashem, he's been getting back little by little. He's an amazing person. Still, from what I know, um, it's still not what he used to be, but it's, in comparison to us, he's a giant. Um, But uh, again, this stuff happens. Hashem gives you, when He gives you Torah, He gives you a responsibility. So from here, we need to understand a few major things before we go against the Rabbis we have to make sure we have support before we decide what we're going to agree with what we're not going to agree with we have to realize that we can't use our opinion our opinion is irrelevant ask what the Torah says now of course we don't know enough of the Torah so we have to ask our Rabbis what does it actually mean can't just look at the Torah like a lot of people today do and they make a mistake of just reading the literal Gemara and they decide what it means. Now, if this is someone that's been learning Gemara and yeshiva his whole life, and he has proper training, and he knows the rules of the Gemara, then you should do it. But if it's someone that's a Baal tshuva, it's mamash foolishness, because you're going to read the Gemara, you're never going to understand it right. You're never going to understand it right. So, people, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know why, but it seems like the yeshivot of today are anti-art scroll. They don't like art scroll because art scroll gives you a lot more details. It's like learning what a chavuta, but by yourself, because it gives you a lot of details. And a lot of people are anti-art scroll, but in, in reality, if these yeshivas were connected to the world, outside of their yeshivas, they would know that art scrolls are only hope. Because most people, you give them the Gemara, they just don't understand anything. Myself included. Just not going to understand it. You're not going to understand what they mean and all those things. It's just, it's too complicated. Our generation is so weak that we still think that Moshe Rabbeinu was in a movie 40 years ago. And it's not an exaggeration. It's reality. Most people don't know anything. So, we have to be connected with reality. And reality is quite different than what we would like for it to be. Once you get somebody into the system, once you get somebody that's already learning to for some time, is really dedicated, makes... A dedication and a uh, investment of a few hours every single day, they go up in levels, eventually they read with just rashi and tosfot instead of all the other stuff. But in reality, in the beginning, until they're must be key they're just an expert in everything, at least they go through the Shas once, you gotta make it as easy as possible for them, even if you have to teach them every single word. Because right now, it's a miracle if anybody even keeps Shabbat, let alone learning Mala every day. So the most important part in my opinion about this mishnah that we learned is that despite how great all of these rabbis were we see that every one of them had a rabbi and in order for each person to get a rabbi they have to work on their own middot Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos was a ishemet he's a man of truth But at the same time, he was relentless with his commitment to Torah, even if it meant eating mud. Rabbi Yeshua knew his levels and knew the generations around him. No humlot. No stringencies, no additions, nothing that's above and beyond what we can handle. Let's just focus on the basics. Once we become... Experts on the basics. Then we'll worry about other things. Rabbi Osiyakohen, he was a Hasid, meaning he knew that the basic level was not enough for him. Doing just the Shulchan Aruch, which is a lot for the rest of us, was not enough for him. And he knew that his neshama was gifted the ability to absorb a lot more. And if he shows up, filling, you know, doing the whole Shulchan Aruch just like we are in Shemaim, they're not going to look at him in a positive way why? because he's not filling his potential our potential is to reach 70% his potential is to reach 100 which means that if he reaches 70 it's not good, he wasted 30 we can't get to 100 because we're not at that level he is someone that wants to go into Hasidut I have sometimes people tell me no no I I don't go to your class because I go to a Hasidut class (laughs) I go learn Hasidut. I go learn Tanya. I go learn uh, all these Hasidut. I look at myself, these people. It's hard for me to like, is he, is he joking? Is he serious? I mean, the guy just started keeping Shabbat a year ago, two years ago. You're learning Hasidut. Learn how to be a human being first. Learn to just have some Shlom bites so your wife doesn't call my wife and tell her that you beat her up or tell her that you curse her. Or tell that you're an animal at home. Learn basic levels of emunah so you're not crying to me about messiah every other day. You're learning about Hasidut. You're learning about Tanya. You're learning all this Hasidut. You're learning about the hat. You're learning putting a string around you before you pray. You think that's going to help you in Gan Eden? That's going to help you? Learn to be a human being. All these people are learning Hasidut. Hasidut, yeah, but they're not even basic level human beings. In many cases. So, a real Hasid... It's after you're an expert, expert in everything else, the entire shulchan and you've gotten to a point where it's not enough. Alvayalenu. I wish it's on us one day. Rabbi Shimo Benetanel teaches us that even the things that are the most tameh, the most impure things, must be supported by some level of truth, some level of dusha is the root of this world. Kedusha is the foundation of this world. Without it, the world doesn't exist. Meaning the Torah that we learn today gives the world a reason to survive. Gives Hashem a reason to continue letting this world spin. <speaking in Hebrew> if not my covenant, day and night, the rules of the world will cease to exist. Hashem says to Jeremiah, This Torah we learn at 10, 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, whatever it is. This is what convinces Hashem to let the world continue spinning. And last but not least, Rabbi Lazar Ben Arach, the same lesson we learned from last week's Mishnah. Don't get so proud and so content with the Torah that you learn because it's the only reason you were brought to this world. As soon as that Torah that you've learned, the mitzvot that you've made, it's the tzedakah that you gave, the few zgulot that you followed, the few shureh Torah you arranged, the few CDs you made, the few lectures you made, as soon as that stuff goes to your head, siyat leaves. Why? Hashem can't stay there. Loba shemaimi, someone according to Gemara, someone that takes that stuff to his head, his Torah is no longer from Shamaim, he's on his own. Hashem leaves. We see it from here, someone is a Tana, someone that knew how to bring back the dead, forgot how to read and write. So this shows us the extreme judgment in Shamaim, not because Chash for Shalom we want punishment. But we need to know where the stop sign is we need to know the danger, we need to know what to stay away from we need to know what to do, instructions so Be'ezrat Hashem Hashem will have mercy on us give us the Siyat and Yishma'ah that we need to continue getting closer and closer to Him continue to recruit more of Am Yisrael to focus more on rezon Hashem versus rezon Aguf focus more on to learn Torah versus talk about something that's called Torah Focus on learning what the Rambam says versus just eating with his name in mind. Focus on the truth. Focus on what Hasidut actually teaches outside of the clothes, outside of the fashion. Focus is on Yilat Shemaim and not these things that are far, far from us. Let's all become, by Hashem, basic level Jews. Once we get to become experts at basic level Judaism, we followed the entire Shukhan Hashem, all the Sodot, all the Kabalot, all the Skulot, all the things, at that point. But for now, let's get to a point of being basic level Jews. Questions? Baruch Adonai Leolam, Amen VeAmen.